I hope you don't have a lot of plans today. And if you do, hopefully, if you listen to this, you chop it up into sections because this episode's quite a doozy. Carrie Vishwanathan is back. As you remember, there's a previous episode uh, where we did the top five films that made us want to be filmmakers. And after that, because it was such a hit, we were talking about maybe some follow-up episodes, and he's definitely a good guest to have on. Him and I love talking about directors that we pull knowledge and inspiration from. And one of them that I was really shocked when I met Carrie is Michael Bay. Michael Bay is probably one of the most polarizing filmmakers of the last 20 years. But him and I both agree you should put some respect on his name. Yes, there's some things that we're not going to let him off the hook with on this episode, but there are some things that we want to mention that might make you give him another shot or might actually make you want to rethink your opinion on him if you're not a fan of him. So sit back, relax. We're breaking down all of Michael Bay's movies today. Welcome to the basement. Vishwanathan. Tyler Geis. Good to see you again, buddy. Welcome back to the basement. Thanks for having me again, man. I'm so excited. I finally said your name right. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, like it was that it was a fluke last time, but you know, I I, I, I prepared, I managed, I got, I got through it's it. A, it's okay. No, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. <laughs> no, you only just embarrassing me on my show, but whatever. No, no, man, that was that. That was, that was a mistake. I wasn't out to. I know it's fine. We're cool. Um, we have a lot. So we have a lot of ground to cover on today's episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot. Me pretty much. So for anybody who doesn't know, and it sucks if you don't know, because Carrie was actually on one of the like probably first five episodes of this show. And um, we just talked about the movies that made us want to be filmmakers. And I want to thank everybody who downloaded that show, because that was actually like a lot of people listened to it. We had a lot of good numbers. It's not a competition, but uh, a lot of people dug that show. A lot of people reached out to me and thought like my breakdown of Die Hard was so fun. And your breakdown on um, fuck, I forget what you broke down on. <laughs> The um, aforementioned movies on the on the probably on the wall yeah Goodfellas and like Goodfellas. Uh, Kurosawa and shit like yeah. and um Eternal that was, Sunshine. A, that was a fun episode, dude. I I kind of like I've kind of went back to it a few times just because it's fun to talk movies with you. So no, I know it was it was a fun. It was actually like a it was a really fun episode to edit because like while I was editing it, I was just sitting there like, oh my god, that was such a good part. Yeah, no. While we were like doing that episode, we actually touched on a certain movie. And I think we kind of geeked out on it and I was like, I, I, I know we should probably like spin off and do something else down the road. And Carrie and I have been talking for a while yeah. about doing a episode completely devoted to Michael Bay and all his in his and his filmography. Yes, <laughs> I, I so I didn't really know Carrie was that I, I didn't know. All right. I'm gonna just talk to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I didn't know you were that big of a michael bay fan but you you seem to actually really be a big michael bay fan you know it's like it's it's weird like i always 
I always occasionally just come back to watching his films, whether it's on TV or just kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because like, it feels, I feel silly talking about Michael Bay with a lot of people because, you know, the first thing that comes up is like, oh, he's like into explosions and fancy cars and supermodels and all that. But like, there's definitely, I hate to make the pun, more than, more than meets the eye with Michael Bay in terms of his movies. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I mean, he's just like, he's, he's a guy who has a, uh, an eye for cinematic imagery and obviously loves to do these like big fun mindless blockbuster pieces of entertainment and you know like I kind of feel like you know as filmmakers there's always something to learn about every filmmaker we watch like whether they make great movies or even okay movies like there's always some kind of you know special secret sauce ingredient that just makes a filmmaker's film you know elevate above the average movie like there's just something really cool that you can like pick up from every filmmaker and it's like every filmmaker has like that sort of something extra special something that they excel at so like you know for michael bay it's like just off the top you know he makes great action movies um and he to me like he has this incredible eye that and he has like and i'm gonna i'm tyler i'm just gonna give you a hot take right now like he has an eye for composition that you could say could rival with like Ridley Scott and David Lean. Like just when you see his movies, it's just like this incredible imagery and just what he does with the camera and like how he moves it and like what lenses he uses. And, you know, and we're obviously going to get into all of that and what makes Michael Bay a great filmmaker, but you know, just on the, just on the surface level, they're just really fun movies to watch. And, you know, I think as nineties kids, it's definitely safe to say that there's definitely a slew of movies that were kind of big sort of pinnacles of our, you know, preteen years as moviegoers. And just, you know, just talking about his movies are, are a lot of fun, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, I, I, I got, I, just to kind of piggyback on some stuff you were saying, you know, he definitely does have an eye. I would, I could see where you're going with Ridley Scott. I, I see kind of um, this little Tony Scott in him too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and I, but he definitely he you know when you're watching a Michael Bay movie, and I think that's a true sign of an artist. I mean, there's filmmakers out there that maybe I don't really, you know, I don't flock to their things. Like you know, take for example, like you know, yeah. Rob Zombie. You know, there there's <laughs> there's movies of his that like I actually kind of really enjoy, and there's movies of his that I just eh, it's just not for me. But the fact of the matter is. I know when I'm watching a Rob Zombie movie, there's just kind of an aesthetic to it. Yeah. But this is a Michael Bay episode. But um, you you do know when Michael you're watching a Michael Bay movie, there's usually you know high stakes action, fast paced action, usually some yeah. comedic relief thrown in there. You oh know, yeah. The movies just really get your adrenaline pumping. For they're always you know a two and a, it's always a two and a half hour like action packed thing, and. I can't, I can't sit around and join that club of people that just bash him. And I, I, I yeah. can, you know, I think it's safe to say, you know, in the press, he's been, I don't know the word, but there, there's been some controversies over him, you know, about 10 years ago, there was the Megan Fox thing that, you know, she was very vocal about how he was hard to work with. And I don't know specific quotes, but I, I guess they kind of made amends because he produced the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot and she was in it. So I don't know, but 
<laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily Gilbert canceled her. She got a freaking pass, like by working with Bayon. Yeah, movie. there's actually so <laughs> Carrie sent me over an email the other night with um just some like quotes of people who worked with Michael Bay, and yeah. one that I thought was it was like the first one actually was from uh, Gabrielle Union, who's in Bad Boys Two. She's just like working with Michael Bay is like, you know, doing drugs. It's like, that's your drug of choice or some, I, I, I don't have it in front of me right now, but yeah. it's yeah. the equivalent of just like doing drugs. Like that. She's like, I've never done drugs before, but I did a Michael Bay movie. And now I'm hooked. Yeah. I think that was the paraphrase. Yeah. That was a good one. There was, um, there was one by Anthony Hopkins. Cause he worked with them on transformers five. And like, after yeah. hearing that, it actually made me really rethink Michael Bay. Cause I was just like up to that point. I'm like, he's, yeah, he's a cool action director, but I'm like, so he's, so Anthony Hopkins says, I thought this guy's a genius. He really is. He's the same ilk as Oliver Stone, Steven Spielberg, and Martin Scorsese. Brilliant savants, really. They are. Yeah. He's a savant. <laughs> no, I. I'm I, like savant. That's an interesting word to describe Michael Bay. Like he does. He definitely does have a a sort of peculiar way of looking at. Like his perspective is definitely like unique. Like his 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 vision is unique. You know. Um, without a doubt. And to go off of that quote, Spielberg, who worked with him on Transformers, says he has the best eye for multiple levels of pure ad- visual adrenaline. Like coming from mm-hmm. Spielberg, obviously, who's also like probably like the OG master of cinematic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's a master of cinema. That's 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 what he is. And like for him to say that about someone like Michael Bay is just like, whoa! Like really, mm-hmm. it's you know like just getting into like what Spielberg does with a camera and his use of lighting and visuals. Like it's, it's interesting. Um, what some uh, Peter Stormar, you know, you know, Peter Stormar, obviously, right. Mm. Who plays a Russian in like 15 films. But yeah. he's like, and then Fargo, he's like a brilliant actor. So he says, I got to sorry. I got to look at these notes. I just like lost my place. No, it's okay. Well, if some, it was something to the extent of, Oh yeah. That he has the, he has an incredible eye to, well, I'll just like, I'll just paraphrase. So Peter Stormar, who worked with Michael Bay on Bad Boys 2 and Armageddon said yeah. um, that he has the fantasy to elevate like action and violence to that level and that he would make an incredible stage director or opera director. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. Okay. Oh, wow. Michael One Bay's- of one of my favorite quotes from that um, that article you gave me, it's a GQ magazine article. Matter of fact, I'll put it in the show notes of this show, is um, from James Cameron. And yeah. it's, I've studied his films and reverse engineered his shooting style. He loves what I call the big train set. Huge physical production, just as I do. It is the most challenging type of filmmaking, and he does it gorgeously. I agree with that completely because yeah. I watch... When I watch a Michael Bay movie and like the cuts and just the, he's got like, how many cameras does he got going? Like he, he has like a first unit, second yeah. unit, third unit, fourth unit. And they're just like going. And I try to like break down how the fuck he's shooting this thing. And Dude, I, I know. <laughs> Cause like you'd think for a studio film, like he's, you know, you don't, you only have time to set up like one or two angles, but he shoots so fast from what I've heard in interviews that he's able to get like so many setups done in a day. Like I think Jerry Brockheimer said that like in one day, Michael Bay was able to get like 20 or 30 setups where like the regular wow. director would get like 10, but yeah, he's a, he's a machine. I heard he had like, from what I watched, like I, uh, if it's an action scene, I wouldn't be surprised if he had like up to nine cameras just for anything with explosions or yeah. people running. And, he, like, and I bet like five of them are on dollies. 
Yeah, five of them are on dollies. One of them is just in the middle of the action. And so even if it gets fucking destroyed by like an explosion or just like flying debris, it's still going to be the greatest fucking shot ever. Like it's nuts. It's 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 amazing. I love it. Like every time I go base shoot something from like five different angles, I'm all in for that shit. It's just oh, yeah. like I love that shit. I want to do that shit as a director. Yeah. Okay. So let's I think we've done enough uh, <laughs> build like, up. Crazy. I think we've done enough build up. So let's dive in. We're we're, we're going to break down. We're going to plow through these. We're going to give them enough attention as they deserve. I mean, some of uh, some of them I've watched literally in the past week for just refreshers. Some of them it's been a while. But um, we're going to, by the way, just letting the audience know when we get to Transformers, which is in 2007, <laughs> uh, we're just going to kind of lump those five movies together. Just uh, th- those movies are separated out over like a decade. But I thought maybe, you know, just kind of plow through them all at once rather than I mean, we could be talking to, you know, who knows? This could be a six hour episode if we break <laughs> every one of those down. And I don't know, like we don't have too much to say about the Mark Wahlberg ones. Well, I know you have something to say, but I have a few things to say. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm kind of more familiar with the first three. I mean, the ones with Mark Wahlberg are just I yeah, we'll get into it, but let's kick it off. Uh, it just got real. Yeah. <laughs> let's kick it off with the debut uh, 1995 uh, cop buddy cop action film takes place in Miami, Florida. Uh, starring Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. They were pretty much just, I mean, they had been in movies, but they had done a lot more. I mean, Will Smith, Fresh Prince, Martin Lawrence had, wasn't a show just called Martin. Yeah. Um, They were big TV stars also. So this was kind of, I felt like something that really broke them through into the, into film as leading men. I'm talking about bad boys. Yes. What you going to do when they come for you? (laughs) So it's pretty cool that we're kicking it off with Bad Boys because Bad Boys is kind of fresh in my mind. And I had seen Bad Boys um, multiple times growing up. Uh, like I, I was probably about seven or eight. Eh, I was like seven when it came out. First of all, I just <laughs> want to start by saying I love films that take place in Miami. I just yeah. think Miami is such a like Miami's Miami's like a perfect city for like a cop drama, a noir a fast paced action film like this, which kind of, I feel like Michael Bay blends a lot of those genres into it. Yeah. And Miami is just like a sexy city. It's and a gorgeous city. Yeah. I just, I just like think it, I, lights and all that. And oh yeah. I just think it pops on screen really well. Yeah. And the, like, the, the, so the main plot of the film, and I hope I don't if screw this up. Plot, you know, there's a plot. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way, Tyler. Let me just get it out of the way. There's a plot to Bad Boys. So, oh my God, I hope I don't script the plot. Um, they wrote that shit as they went along. It's 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 fine. Do you think they wrote it? When they went along? They okay, they didn't do that. I'm kind of I'm kind of poking fun at that a little bit, but they obviously the story goes is they had a really shitty script and Michael Bay and Will and Martin worked together to like elevate the scenes, but with with their shit simply by by their improv and their charisma just to make every scene work but anyway i'm, I'm interrupting what were you saying no 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 i could because actually that's a good point because i can kind of see that i didn't know that actually um so that's a good tidbit of information but i mean the gist of the plot is is um so will smith plays mike lowry uh, <laughs> mike lowry 
Lowry. And uh, Martin Lawrence plays, uh, it's Marcus, is it Marcus Bennett? They're Burnett. Burnett, yeah. So they're two Miami, you know, police detectives. And so there is, the and the supporting role is, uh, is it T. Le- T. Leone? I can never pronounce it's her name. Taya Leone. Taya Leone. And she just kind of plays like, it's hard to tell if she's just kind of like a, a model or a, a call girl who gets called in to pretty much just hang out with like these gangsters one night, these drug dealers. And they're like high, big, big time drug dealers in Miami. And um, one of the girls gets uh, is a friend of Will Smith's character and she gets murdered. Yeah. And Tay Leone's character kind of goes on the run. She witnesses it. And ends up calling in the police looking for Will Smith's character, Mike Lowry. But Martin Lawrence answers. And this is after Will Smith has realized her, her this girl that maybe they were dating or something. He's kind of insinuated that she had a thing for him. Because Mike yeah. Lowry is kind of the, uh, the ladies man. man of the two. And Martin Lawrence is the married guy with like three kids. And he's stressed out all the time. Yeah. They have yeah, a yeah. perfect dynamic, mind yeah. you. Just, yeah. it's incredible. So pretty much what happens after that is uh, Mar- Mar- Marcus pretends to be Mike Lowry and Tay Leone goes along with it. And they're basically protecting her away from the drug dealers. But as you know, that never really works out. And a lot of great fast paced car chases, shootouts happen within two hours. And this is just, I don't know. This is just all around fun. What do you think of bad boy? Sorry, go ahead. Well, okay, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on this. I think oh, it's fuck. it's a no, 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 no. It's okay. I'm because 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 this is where we're once we get to Bad Boys Two, I'll be able to sort of like explain more about like why I like it better than one. But like, it's wow. one is fun. One is fun. Will Smith, and Martin Lawrence are obviously like super funny dudes. They're obviously using like all of their comedic talents and they're just putting everything on the screen. And they're just like they're just riffing off of each other is great. And you know, I mean, the action, you know it delivers you got explosions you got exploding household objects you got cute dogs you got you know it's 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 hard to really kind of like summarize what i like about the movie except that like will and martin just are are just fantastic and like there's like that it's it's fun to see will smith and martin lawrence sort of at the beginning of their movie star Mm -hmm. career because like i know for me will smith became like the coolest guy ever when i saw independence day that was like yeah my first will smith movie and i'm like gee oh my god this guy is funny he's a badass he's like the coolest motherfucker on their planet but you know that being said you know him and him and martin are like you know complete badasses and bad boys and i even love the first scene where like they're they're just nagging to each other and martin lawrence spills the fries and will smith is like get that fry and like meanwhile there's a diversion where like you you're gonna get that fry (laughs) <laughs> and martin lawrence says he's martin lawrence is so fucking funny i don't know why he doesn't do like he's he's not a bigger star but he has this one line where he says like you know will smith is talking about i got this porsche goes to zero and 16 four seconds baby and martin lawrence is just like this is just a dick with like chairs in it we're just we're just two balls hanging out you know <laughs> Where, where, where's your cup holder? I don't have one. You mean 
don't have one eighty thousand dollars for this car and you ain't got no damn cup holder it's a hundred and five thousand dollars and this happens to be one of the fastest production cars on the planet see 64 seconds sweetie it's a limited edition you damn right it's limited no cup holder no back seat it's a shiny dick with two chairs in it i guess we the balls just dragging the fuck along <laughs> Like, yo, Martin Lawrence, just like his riffing is just phenomenal. I mean, and, you know, the, the whole thing where, like, you know, the, the model comes and distracts him and the guys try to rob him and Will and Martin just kind of just start shouting at each other in that typical Michael Bay friendship dynamic. Yeah. All those movies. <laughs> and then, you know, Lawrence kicks the guy in the balls and Will Smith slaps the guy and he's just like, Martin Lawrence is like, you like that shit? Wesley Snipes, passenger 57. <laughs> Yeah, dude. That is that they have just great comedic chemistry. The two of them are just perfect together. Um, I think there's a there's a fun the, the movie is like a roller coaster of I'm gonna stick with the comedy for a minute, but I'm gonna go into something else. Yeah. But like the um this so basically because uh Martin Lawrence's character is pretending to be Will Smith's character. Uh, Will Smith's character has to pretend to be Martin Lawrence's character. So they, I guess he goes and stays with Martin Lawrence's family. So there's, there's kind of this Martin Lawrence's character gets a little Marcus, we should just say Marcus gets paranoid. Maybe something's going on at some point, like, cause Will Smith's such a ladies man that yeah. maybe swooping Remember. in and being a home wrecker. Martin Lawrence didn't get his quality time with his wife. So yeah. <laughs> He lies and said he like went to Cleveland for four days for some work related thing. And then he ends up on the news after a car chase. But there's a funny scene where they're in the office and like, Will, you know, Mike's got a call home and he's calling, he's checking in on Marcus's wife and everything. And then like, you know, he's got his back turn and, you know, of course uh, Marcus can't chime in and say anything. His wife thinks he's in Cleveland and you hear the phone click and hang up and everything like their conversations <laughs> over and other uh, and um yeah. and then so suddenly he's just like yeah maybe watch a movie tonight or something just hang out with the kids then he just goes like yeah what you wearing and Martin Lawrence just freaks out on him and he's just like she just she hung up she hung up and just the fucking the the pranks they pull on each other and like their reactions to stuff is just so authentic like yeah. It doesn't feel like a camera's there. It's just, I love it so much. The flip side to all the comedy in there is, as I was watching this the other night, like when they cut to the parts with the bad guys and the drug dealers, like I, these, this crew of villains is so well cast. They, yeah. they seem like bad fucking dudes. And when the they, you know, after, uh, Chucky Cario, he plays the bad guys. Just yeah. Like, fucking off the wall crazy he is he's very well cast in it it's just like with like there's the, the a lot of the scenes where it involves the villains like um i think will smith goes to i think his character after his after the girl gets murdered he goes to her house or something and one of the guys is there and the way it's lit is like a straight up like horror movie yeah and, it, yeah it's so dark like i think it took me back to when i was a kid and like it would be on tv like i'd have an older brother or sister watching it and i'd like leave the room because i thought they were watching a scary movie and no they were just watching bad boys but there's just i don't know michael bay's attention yeah. to just like you know noir you know cop drama stuff and like kind of making his villains like that's another thing like i feel like we don't get villains that we're actually kind of scared of anymore or like we're kind of 
we don't really believe how bad they are. And like the, in this movie, I fucking thought these guys were bad dudes. They're bad yeah. boys. But <laughs> going into the that whole thing about the villains, I I, I, was, I was also thinking of that moment when like the guy was carrying that like huge sledgehammer and it was in slow motion. Then you and then you cut yeah. to the girl in the um in the house getting on the phone like hello hello like she got cut off and it's just like it's i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it yeah and then and like even in going to like the way that michael bay lit the scene this this film was a low budget had a low budget yeah it was under 10 million it might have been three i don't even remember it was but it was low and michael bay really elevated like everything like he was really taking advantage of like where to place his camera again i'm going into cinematography because i'm a geek that's fine you know it's like He's using he's using all the tricks in the book that he learned from working on commercials. It's like yeah. he's using blue gels. He's creating all this backlight and these like super film noirish look. He's adding smoke to give dimension to like you know everything and like in all the rooms and you know the, the, and, and and you know just the lighting and like everything. Like he there there I've noticed in like certain establishing shots, there's always like a car just like in the foreground in the building in the background just to kind of give every image. Mm-hmm every establishing every establishing shot just a little bit of pop you know just just a little something to make it stand out and instead of making it look like a flat image he's always working to kind of make everything stick out um and like just the way it was interesting also just watching the scenes where like they're doing the car chases and he's he he he, i know you employed this trick where he would um shoot close-ups of like the characters driving the car and you use a telephoto lens and shake the camera so like and then like kind of create this sort of light bounce off of the actor so it looks like you know they're it looks like they're 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 driving a car but really it's just a low budget way to save money like that that whole movie is just yeah. a really cool way to you know f- almost break down like I'm, as a filmmaker i like to break down movies with low budgets just to see like how they actually did it because it Me looks too. like a million bucks it does not look like that budget alone that final shootout scene well that and like a lot of the chase scenes I don't Do you remember know. The, the ether in the trucks? I, I just wanted yeah. to bring this up, but like that was a, not only a great action scene and just seeing Will Smith chuck the ether cans and shooting them, but yeah. Martin Lawrence was so fucking funny. He's just like, oh, you the man. You just got an ice cream truck. That's a damn bomb. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, and he's just like going down like this highway that's running out of road and Will Smith's like, of all the goddamn roads in Miami, you're running out of it. <laughs> yeah. They're... Their humor that they do, their their arguments too. Their arguments are so authentic. Yeah, it's they they have. I mean, I could kind of tell. Maybe I don't know what behind the scenes with screenwriters and who's inspired by who, but like, you know, this this movie, you know, could you could argue it got it spawned from something like Lethal Weapon. Yeah, and I mean, I believe it, but um. Well, I know Jerry Bruckheimer, like when he created Beverly Hills Cop, I mean, he kind of set the standard for action movies. And I feel like Bad Boys was just like, you know, having two African-American protagonists, mm-hmm. both, of, both of which are really funny. And I feel like there's kind of an ingredient. There's something where I feel like you usually have, or I don't know if it's a thing that Hollywood does, but it's like you have like the straight guy who's not funny and then the funny guy. But yeah, Will Smith is kind of the straight funny guy and Martin is like the sort of bombastic funny guy. But yet their chemistry again is what like really makes their the team work you know but yeah what we're saying i'm sorry i completely forget but um, no a lot of the chase scenes and a lot of that like the heavy duty action stuff this is just a thought that went through my head last night and i can't name off any movies really to compare it to off the top of my head but 
I wonder if Michael Bay was really into like European or Italian like action movies from the 60s and 70s because of just how the car chases were and like how they're actually totaling fucking cars. They are just yeah. crashing expensive cars in the middle of Miami. This is still this is very this is really before CGI. And I just think of a lot of those like old 60s, 70s British or European or Italian just like kind of crime drama action movies. And I, I don't know, it just, it just it ran through my head. I, I don't know. I can't really compare it to any of film specific, but. Um, it's really interesting to know what, what old films Michael Bay watches. I, that's another thing. Like, I don't it's really funny. know what he's inspired by. <laughs> well, so I know that he watched um, when he went to, I'm kind of name dropping Wesleyan because my mom works there, but Michael Bay went to Wesleyan University and worked with a film professor and he and this film professor showed Michael Bay musicals like he took a musical class and Michael Bay f- watched West Side Story and that be- and he fell in love with it and that became sort of one of the films that kind of ins- not, there's there's West Side Story and then there's like films from like the 30s made by I think it's a director named Busby Berkeley who would film scenes in such a way like he'd choose the craziest angles it wasn't just like you know a master of a guy dancing it would be like a camera that was like it was a dancer on like a pl- dancing on a plate of glass and the camera was like right underneath like looking up so you could see like the feet like the bottom of the feet and the tap dancing just mm-hmm. the craziest fucking angles and i know that michael bay was influenced by that style of filmmaking and i think kind of incorporated it into like a lot of the movies the way he shoots the movies and his style of the movies and whatnot i can see that yeah did you know his uh, michael bay used the port the porsche that was used in the movie was actually his <laughs> wow really yeah that's crazy. No, I didn't know that. But um, no, Bad Boys, just, just to kind of wrap it up on Bad Boys, I mean, I can't sit here and go, oh, I recommend Bad Boys because the movie's been out for 25 years now. A lot of people have seen it. <laughs> but it really, I, I really think it is, I mean, this is pretty much a big launching pad for Martin Lawrence and Will Smith's career. And I don't know, I don't want to get into a debate on what's fact and what's not, but I I came across a video essay years ago. Maybe you even sent it to me. I don't know. But because I know you send me a lot of video essays and I feel we were talking about Michael Bay and maybe, maybe, but something about like the studio didn't want Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. They didn't want, they, yeah. they wanted, and I think it was Michael Bay that fought for like, I, I don't know if the, if, if race was thrown into it, like they wanted two yeah. white guys or something, but Michael Bay, Michael Bay supposedly fought for Will Smith and Martin Lawrence to have those two roles. I don't know I if that's true. Go ahead. Well, I know I don't, I don't, I don't want to cut you off. I know I, I <laughs> I've listened to that commentary. So I actually know the full story behind it, but no, go ahead. Studio, I think John Lovitz and Dana Carvey were slated to play those roles and what happened. What? Was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it was like the widest sounding script ever. And it was just, I think it was more of a broad comedy at that point. And I think what happened was John Lovitz read the script and he wasn't really interested in it. And I think, I don't know if, I don't, I don't recall Michael Bay having to fight over like casting, but I think Martin Lawrence was, was, an, was an idea and Martin Lawrence said yes to the script. And I think the other guy they were going to get was Arsenio Hall. But Michael thought, you know, what about Will Smith? He's a star and he's charismatic. Not to say Arsenio Hall isn't. It's just a different kind of like, it's a different yeah, movie than Arsenio. But, you know, with Will Smith and I think Michael and Martin had to sort of like vouch for Will Smith. I know Brockheimer wanted Smith too. And 
it's really dude it's so interesting like it just it's almost a reflection of like that era because martin lawrence i think was martin lawrence's first billing and will smith the second billing but then mm-hmm. in, when bad boys 2 came out will smith is like almost like i think will smith's name is on the left and martin lawrence is on the right it's like yeah so bizarre i mean you know it's nothing against martin lawrence's career but like will smith definitely obviously will smith's will smith yeah he did but like i saw the two of them not in person but um they were on an episode on um that show on uh hbo the shop that lebron james has where they're all in a barber shop and um this was like a year ago and i think they were there because they're plugging the third bad boys which michael bay didn't direct and i haven't even seen I, i didn't really hear much about it honestly bad boys for life and like they were on there and like you could tell martin lawrence is like kind of maybe shed that tried to he tried to have shed that image he's had for the first 10 years of his career you know kind of being that wild obnoxious character because he was very mellow and you almost think like maybe he's kind of wanted to step out of show business and whatnot but you can tell the two of them still have a very good relationship that they're basically brothers from different mothers yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and Will Smith's career ended up like skyrocketing, and his, you know, I don't want to say it fizzled out, but I guess it kind of did. But it's regardless, as, yeah, we're great together because it used to be. But um, I mean, Martin Lawrence is out. I mean, I, I mean, even after Bad Boys, I love, I love Blue Streak. Like that's a fucking funny movie, and like Eddie Murphy in Life is a great movie too. And like he's had a few good movies, not not as many as not not as many movies I, I rewatch as Will Smith's filmography but agreed you know i like the guys equally so but anyway it's time to move on to the next uh movie which i feel we're gonna have a lot of fun with oh the whole reason we're here one of the reasons we're here it's like so so we touched on this on our last episode we did together yeah and because and i'm gonna talk about it again i don't care i'll make the listen just listen to how much i fucking love that scene again yeah i'm gonna Um, gonna, i want to repeat the same things you repeated so let's, (laughs) let's fucking do this shit dude no, we Tyler, were, honestly, I'm so glad we're talking about Michael Bay just because, like, I never get a chance to fucking talk about him or his movies. And it's just, like, me it's too. fucking awesome to just talk about him with, you know, somebody who appreciates him as much as me. So so anyway. this podcast is, of course, The Basement, and we're <laughs> it's just a podcast. But I will tell you this. In the actual real basement in which me and my friends used to hang out, we watched this movie a lot. I'm talking about 1996's The Rock. <laughs> Welcome and to the- there it is on DVD. <laughs> Carrie's showing me Criterion that. Edition, mind you. I did not know Criterion did a fucking edition of it. That's insane. All right, so The Rock is. Uh, I'm gonna let you take this one. I did Bad Boys. You take this one. You take. You kick it off here. I'm I'm geeking. I'm nerding the fuck out right now. I'm just like I'm gonna fumble words, but fuck it, I don't care. So. Um, I, we, we talked about the synopsis on the rock. I'll mention it again. So basically, um, there's a general who basically, how do I say this? He's, he was, um, he's disillusioned with the U S government because he lost some soldiers and the government never acknowledged that they actually, um, I'm just going to read the synopsis from the, from the criterion DVD. Okay. (laughs) You can edit that part out. So, uh, it says, so the synopsis is as is listed. A highly decorated retired U.S. Marine General Ed Harris seizes a stockpile of chemical weapons and takes over Alcatraz with 81 tourists as hostages. His demand? Restitution to families of soldiers who died in a covert operation. The response? An elite Navy SEAL team with support from a chemical warfare expert played by Nicolas Cage and, an Al- and a former Alcatraz escapee played by Sean Connery is assembled to penetrate 
to penetrate the terrorist defenses on the island and neutralize the threat. It's incredible. Um, this is like yeah. the best plot for a movie ever. It's also the <laughs> yeah. It's also the best. Like when you say Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris, it's almost like the cast sounds musical. Like it just yeah. sounds like a cool cast too. This is like a fucking biblical cast, I tell you. Yeah. Like Sean Connery and Ed Harris toe to toe in a movie is. I, I don't think, like, I don't know. I, I feel like, because Sean Connery had a, had a real renaissance in the 90s, I feel. He kind of, you know, he did his James Bond run in the beginning of his career. And I think from what I've been told, like, he kind of started doing a lot of duds throughout the mid to late 70s and into the 80s. And, you know, n- and then he's coming out with Hunt for Red October. And, I mean, what else he's done a few he's done a few films he did a film with Sidney Lumet called the hill he did yeah yeah he did a lot of bond films he worked with terry gilliam on time bandits he's had a few bandits yeah i forgot about that one it's it's, oh such a great movie but like i don't know i feel like this was like just a great era of sean connery and yeah he, he just is hyped as the ultimate badass from he's from they have him built no yeah he's from they still have him build that he's like scottish in this movie right I think he's I think he's British. What okay, because I didn't want to say that because I wasn't sure. Oh no, but, it's okay. He definitely he has the same Scottish accent in every movie, but it's Sean Connery, so it's okay, you know. He's in the he was in the Royal Air Force or something. Or something. He was an an SAS, I'm not sure what it stands for, but an SAS Secret Service agent yeah. who in the movie had all this dirt and government secrets from the United States of America and got caught on the Canadian border and was sent to Alcatraz and they locked him up through away the key. That's basically his character. He just has like some of the best lines in this movie. And, you know, he gets to say the title in so, like, <laughs> I just, I, I can't the, the trailer, like where he just, the door opens and he slides out and just welcome to the rock. <laughs> like, I get goosebumps. And it's like right after he's like rolling under a furnace full of like, I know. Fire. And he's trying to like, so when you know they all show up them and the navy seals and like there's a furnace going on that he's like got to get through to get to the other side of the door so he can open up the door for the navy seals he's just like sitting there studying it and like michael beans like asking him like you know the hell are you doing he's like i'm studying the timing (laughs) he couldn't remember the timing of the flames and he fucking gets through and opens the door for them and then I love the- that moment when, like, he, um, when, when Michael Bean basically says, it's like, we're, you know, you got through a fucking trap, Mr. Mace. He's like, no, I don't. I'm going to go through there. How? And he's like, I just got to memorize the timing. And Michael Bean says, you know, if you catch one of those flame burns, you're a corpse. And Connery's like, thank you. <laughs> Puts the mask on, rolls the fuck under that crazy furnace of death. I got to, oh, God, there's so much I got to cover. Let me just say this right now. So, what I loved about Sean Connery in this is that I think this was, I think in, in his, in, in a part of his career where he was playing the badass mentors. Cause like, yeah. when you look at his filmography from like the late eighties, he was doing untouchables. You know, of course he does Indiana Jones in the, in the last crusade, which is my favorite of the, of the whole series. It, and like, yeah, his, I agree with you. Like, that, that is his, my favorite. Oh, I get that. That's a whole podcast that, that film itself. But so, but he tells he, him to let the Holy grail go when he's reaching for it. Oh, that was the chokes best. me up every time it just like he's just such a fatherly voice he goes you know indiana, indiana. let it go 
And then that moment where Sean Connery and Indy see the knight and the knight just salutes them. And I'm just oh. thinking, oh, that was the best scene ever. Like just Sean Connery got to see the knight of, you know, after, yeah. after 30 years of researching the grail and all that. I um, thought I lost you, boy. <laughs> Sean, I got to tell you something. The floor's on fire. And the chair. Um, I, you know, it's like Sean Connery being a mentor ages so well and just to see him be a mentor and like you know he's seeing him being a mentor in untouchables just as a badass chicago cop and then like indy's father and like he's he just he's always it seems like he's always he's 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 changing that dynamic up a little bit and like the chemistry between him and nicholas cage is mm-hmm. so great because connery is just this like jaded charming super spy badass and Nicolas Cage is, you know, he's also a badass, but he's also like a fish out of water nerdy. Yeah, he's scared weapon specialist. And like throughout the whole movie, it's so interesting. There's there's so much to cover on that. But like, I love their growing relationship. You don't see this a lot in action movies today, I think. That just the amount of care that you put into like the writing of like characters in an action movie. But it's like, you know, and then the inter- in the interrogation scene when Sean Connery is like, you know, he's being... He's, he's just being, how do I say it? What's the fucking word? He's being interrogated by these FBI guys, by William Forsyth and like, you know. William Forsyth is in, yeah. Bill Forsyth, he's so great. He's just like, just giving him a hard time. He's like, here's a fucking quarter. Call your fucking lawyer. You're going to jail. <laughs> and then just Cage comes happy. in. He just goes, this, he does, he, it's the, the funniest thing. He's just like, I'm from the, hi, I'm from the federal uh fbi i'm staying the good speed and it's just this really charmingly awkward exchange between him and connery and then connery says something in latin cage translates it to a fear of the greeks even when they bring gifts and like there's this growing relationship where connery kind of like says oh you're an educated man that must rule out you being a field agent yeah <laughs> and the whole thing like that that's sort of one little spark like they're that slowly their relationship develops and there's all these little nuances like that comes up and like you know when when cage tells connery's daughter i know i'm i'm, I'm going all over the place with the movie no so it's I, it's it's fine you're actually this is stuff maybe i can't touch on so go ahead it's like so there's so sean connery has an estranged relationship with his daughter in the movie and like he basically escapes the fbi to go visit her for a few minutes and cage follows him and they meet and you know, they surround Sean Connery and Cage comes up to the to his daughter and says, you know, your father's helping us with a dangerous case. And there's like a moment where Sean Connery just looks at him and he's just like, oh, wow, you're not such a bad guy after all. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a line in the movie that I actually really love. That's not really touched up on, but I love, I personally love it, but it's when Kate, when um, Cage says, uh, when Cage and Connery are like, are going to Alcatraz and Connery says, I know something about you, good Godspell. And Cage says, good speed. And Connery says, good speed, God speed, God spell. And it's like, there's a whole volume of like respect and like subtle, like there's all the subtlety going underneath. Like he's, he obviously respects the guy. And like, there's these, just these little moments throughout the whole movie where we see like a growing relationship develop between the two characters. That's yeah. just like, it's, it's wonderful. And like, I, I just want to say Ed Harris, like Ed Harris has like the, the most interesting character arc of the whole three he's a fucking phenomenal he's a great actor yeah obviously and he had the most challenging role of like the whole film because he's like the guy who's 
he's an antagonist, but he has, he might, he might or might not have second thoughts about actually pulling this off. And like, you know, how do you juggle that? And at the same time, move the movie forward and be sort of like the guy who's like the antagonistic force behind, you know, this whole plot. He's good. I feel like, I don't want to say Ed Harris steals the show, but like when you see him, he's really, he's really just as engaging as Connery and Cage. And you'd think with a villain, like, who has to play everything deadly serious. Like you can compare this to Die Hard where you have like Hans Gruber, who's like one of the greatest villains of all time. And he's robbing a bank, but Ed Harris is tackling this completely different character. And like, it's just such, it's such a riveting villain. Like he's just as good as Connery and Cage. And it, I don't know, it just goes to show you that you don't necessarily have to be funny in order to like steal, steal the movie or like be, or just be captivating. You can still like, if you're like Ed Harris is a brilliant actor and brings so much complexity to the role. Like he just, he does a phenomenal job. Um, it, it, it was probably one of the first, he's probably one of the first villains um, that I've ever seen in a movie where you you have empathy towards him. Yeah. At least at the very end. And honestly, like I watched it when I was older and, you know, I, I kind of pick up on things that I missed when I watched when I was a kid and I was just excited about shootouts and explosions, but yeah, he, you know, it, they do something in that movie that you don't see in a lot of action movies. The the villain very much kind of regrets every like this whole thing by the very end. And but one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and you, I, I feel like you know the lines better than I do. I think but I know it's where they right. capture Sean Connery and him and Ed Harris have a scene together. And it, it just kind of plays on like there's this slight little play on like American beliefs and like what a guy from Europe like Sean Connery believes. And, you know, they, what does he say? He says to him, he says like patriotism is a virtue of the vicious. And then they like punch him in like the gut and he goes, thank you for proving my point. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, personally, I think you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. He does this whole rant about to Ed Harris. Like it's very perfect. I I can't remember it, but it's very professional and prompt. But then he just goes per like general sir. Personally, yeah. I think you're a fucking asshole <laughs> or a fucking idiot or something. Harris is kind of like preaching him with like the tree of liberty must be yeah artist from time to time with the blood of its patriots or you know he's just like giving an interesting argument and Connery just you know completely just bashes it in the face and says nope you're you're an idiat you know yeah and really? I, I like Ed Harris really I, I agree with you I like I love Sean Connery in this I love Nicolas Cage in this but I think it is Ed Harris that steals the show in this movie. He's just, he's, you know, like, all right, I mean, let's talk about the scene. Let's talk about the scene we talked about last time. Let's let's do it because I have more to say about that show. (laughs) (laughs) The, um, the shower. So the, the basically kind of the big culminating point, maybe not in the first act, but eh, somewhere between the first and the second act, that really kind of gets things going when they're on the island, when they're on Alcatraz, the, the Navy SEALs end up getting into this, you know, abandoned shower room and they get um, caught off guard because the Marine Ed Harris and his Marines are there waiting for them with just, you know, M 16s pointing at them. They have the higher ground yeah. and, you know, it's, you know, it's very tense for a few seconds, but then Ed Harris walks in and, you can tell, and I truly believe this. He's, I feel like he's trying to defuse the situation. Yeah. And because of what he does at the end of the scene. I, and I feel like he didn't want it to escalate how it does. He, he comes in and, you know, addresses who he is. 
And Michael Bean's character who, you know, I, I could do a podcast episode about him because I think he's one of the best, like, un, like he never really got to be a leading man. And, but I think that's fine. I still, cause he got to play a lot of great characters and action movies and stuff. And for anybody who doesn't know Michael Bean, Michael Bean is Kyle Reese in the very first Terminator. And I think he is phenomenal in that. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. I mean, he carries, he can carry that movie. He's James Cameron's boy and he's, yeah. Yeah. Like a great actor who can bring urgency in like. Yeah. He's, he's perfect for a Michael Bay movie. Cause he can just get yeah. so intense. Yeah. And Mike, so Michael Bean comes in and he comes in, you know, he's, he's only in the movie for about, you know, 20, 30, 20 minutes or so. And he's the head of the Navy SEALs, the Navy SEAL group. And, you know, he, once they're in there and there's this standoffish moment, you know, he steps up and starts speaking to Ed Harris. And this is just a duel of words that just, you yeah. know, is going South. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's just, I'm going to put a link to the, this scene in the, in the show notes, but I, I think I'll <laughs> do it. Do it's it. It's so fun. Like this is, I like, I just study I the, the camera movement and you also have, they come up through the sewers into this shower room and it's just the Navy SEALs. So Nicholas Cage and Sean Connery are actually down below in the sewers listening to this, this, this conversation that just escalates. And, you know, Michael Bean's trying to reason with Ed Harris's character. Like, look, I understand why you're doing this. You know, you know, I, I understand, but you know, I've sworn to, to protect this country between, um, you know, foreign, well, foreign, sir, and domestic. Yeah. And, you know, you know, Ed Harris is not backing down either. You know, he's, he has the higher rank, you know, he's the general, you can tell Michael Bean respects that, but you know, he has a job to do. And so, did, but Ed Harris, you know, you know, goes, you know, you know, we're not basically, I forget what he says. Um, you know, he just keeps telling him to lower you're, his weapons. You're, you're, you're surrounded by an elevated, you know, you're, yeah, you're, you're at an elevated. Yeah. And then Michael Bean just like fucking loses it. You know, the man following the general, you're the United <laughs> States Marines. Have you forgotten that? <laughs> We all been shit on and pissed on by the Pentagon. That doesn't give you the right to mutiny. And I love when they cut back to Bill Force. What's his name? Bill. Uh, yeah, Bill's Bill. Forsyth. Yeah, and he's like in the control, and he's like, "This is not happening." Yeah, he's a great <laughs> character actor. And then it just turns into like a screaming match between Ed Harris, Ed Harris, and Michael Bean. Like, just this is two actors. Oh my God, this is just the best. Like, you know, it's going to go fucking south. And like, their screaming match just gets yeah. you there and you're getting anxious the whole time. And, you know, I get goosebumps watching that scene. It's just such an incredible piece of. Yeah. Writing. Ed Harris is yelling, you know, you know, what is it? He tells him to stand down or something. And he's like, you know, I will not get that order. And he's just like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? <laughs> and Michael Bean, once he yells, stand fast, you're like, oh no, it's going, it's going down. Like he tells his men to basically get ready. And what happens is I think one of the Marines like pushes a pile, like a couple of bricks down onto the showers, like wax it with the gun. And they think it's a gunshot and they all start shooting at each other. And it's like it it just honestly it's like it's really sad like the the music yeah. kicks in and it just kind of turns into this really tragic scene that sets up the rest of the movie that now it's basically on Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. Yeah. Um there is an actor in there I forget his name but he was in Titanic. He's a Oh uh, yeah, Danny Nucci. Yeah. Like he's like 
on the ladder in the sewer. He hears what's going on. And like Nicholas Cage is like pleading with him, do not go up there. And, yeah. you know, this guy's a Navy SEAL. Like he, if he's going to go up there, he's going to go die with his men if he has yeah, to. Yeah, can't leave, leave no man behind. Yeah. And it, it just so to get back to Ed Harris and like how you can tell he's kind of trying to defuse this. He's calling ceasefire during this shootout. Yeah. Like you can like that's to, to that's kind of the first sign as a villain like. You know, I have em- there's some sort of empathy I have for this guy. He's not as bad as I think he is. Rendering to the shower room, sir. They're securing the area. safety their weapons and place them on the deck this is not happening sir we know why you're out here god knows i agree with you but like you i swore to defend this country against all enemies foreign sir and domestic general we've spilled the same blood in the same mud you know goddamn well i can't give that order we're dead your unit is covered from an elevated position commander I'm not going to ask again. Don't do anything stupid. No one has to die here. Man following the general. You're under oath as United States Marines. Have you forgotten that? We all have shipmates we remember. Some of them were shit on pissed on by the Pentagon. But that doesn't give you the right to mutiny. You call it what you want. You're down there. We're up here. You walk into the wrong goddamn room, Commander. God damn it, Commander, one last time. You tell your men to safety their weapons, drop them on the deck. I cannot give that order. I am not going to repeat that order. I will not give that order. What the hell is wrong with you, man? Stand fast. Oh, my God. Let's waste these fuckers. One last time. You order your men to safety their weapons. I think like the cherry on top at the end, you know, Nicholas Cage's character is, you know, kind of a little bitch or I don't know if that's appropriate word, but he's kind no, of he's a little just, bit of a wuss. He's not, he's not exposed to combat. He's, he's, he's freaking out because he's never seen death before. He's never seen this. All right. So maybe he's not a little bitch. I'd be freaking out too. But um, <laughs> so, but the cherry on top is like, yeah, he's a, he's a bit of a, you know, he's scared of this stuff. Like it cuts to him and he is just like crying. He has this like little boy, little cry he lets out and they cut to sean connery and like he has this look on his face he's just like you know he has to go do something now and he he just like takes a gun or something and leaves yeah and it's just it's one of the best movies i've seen in an action movie and in one of the best movies i've seen in a movie i love it i feel like anything with michael bean and ed harris in a confrontation always ages extremely well like yeah. when they were in the abyss and they're just like, there's an R. Oh yeah, that's right. They were in that together. Michael Bean's trying to nuke the fucking like alien sea creatures and Ed Harris is trying to like, you know, fetch the warhead or something. Like there's all, 
you know, it's like, I'm, I'm going off of so many tangents, but you know what? It's funny. You mentioned that scene because um, this is just kind of an interesting bit of trivia. So the um, Michael Bay has a, a military technical advisor named Harry Humphreys, who's worked with them on a bunch of films. Makes and sense. he, I think he wrote that scene along with this, with one of the screenwriters, Jonathan Hensley. I could see it. Yeah. Like, There's a lot of military lingo in that. In that, in that collaboration, they just came up with a really great scene. And I, and, you know, just going back to Michael Bay's a filmmaker, like, like him and Jerry Bruckheimer, I feel like the rock was just one of those films where, you know, you had a fantastic cast of one star and just a slew of character actors you had. Okay. This is This is going to blow your mind. There was nine writers on the film wow. and among them were J.J. Abrams, Jonathan Hensley, who did Die Hard 3, Tony yeah. Gilroy, who did Michael Clayton, and Chinatown's Robert Town. Did <laughs> <laughs> some dialogue. Like, Jerry Bruckheimer mu- must have, like, you know, spent money wisely on, like, a team of amazing writers. And, like, I think there's, there's like, three writers and then, like, writers who have polished up dialogue and, and just, like, certain scenes. But, like, I think that's one of the reasons why The Rock is so good is like, you know, Bruckheimer just being a great producer knows who to bring aboard and like knows how to get the best out of everybody involved. And, you know, a lot like with Michael Bay, like, cause Michael Bay, it was, it's, it's almost like a strange thing to, to go from like a Martin Lawrence Will Smith movie to just a movie with Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris. And yeah. All that's a, yeah. And like, I kind of feel like just they're acting alone just really elevated the material and like you know and and michael bay does his thing too like again he's like he's he's creating this amazing imagery like he's kind of like you know it's funny i kind of think that the movie the movie reminds me a little bit of metal gear solid like any of the video games i can see that yeah there's like a weird techno noir style going on like you again you have like these like backlit rainy rainy scenes you have like yeah incredible these incredible sewers that are sort of lit with this like film noirish light you know obviously the best prop of the movie are the string of green pearls i gotta say tyler the scene when nicholas cage drops one of the pearls and it bounces off his shoe and it rolls almost off the balcony and he's like freaking out and running to grab it was like oh god i get goosebumps watch i get goosebumps watching the scene i kind of like i kind of sit down and play every frame back over again just to see like how michael bay shot it but just like it's such a michael bay a quintessential michael bay moment for him just the just in the way like the scene played out and like i mean you know just just to go back to michael bay like you have less that amazing fucking car chase between the humvee and the ferrari yeah down the it's it's also, yeah. this takes place in another cool city, San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco, yeah. Down those hills and shit. Like, that's, that's, yeah, that's a good chase. And he crashes into the pole, and then, like, the cops fucking, like, flip over, and Sean Connery's like, I hope you're insured. Insured. My, <laughs> my, I can do a better uh, Scottish accent than that. It's just like, I'm a little rusty, but I don't care. It's, it's fine. <laughs> my, my favorite, um, my, my, one of my, my favorite scene, or my second favorite scene, my first favorite scene is that scene we just talked about, but the uh, the green smoke scene where yeah. he yeah. has to, Nicolas Cage has to like, they're about to drop like a bomb on Alcatraz and to, to basically, you know, put this whole crazy situation to bed. And they got like, a, they got a fighter pilot coming in like, and by the way, like those shots of the jet coming in like under the Golden Gate Bridge are fucking oh, epic. yeah. 
And like once again, like we talked about this last time, like Mike Michael Bage is like he knows military military porn straight. Up. I know that's not the right word, but um, only the right word. It's what it is. It's just and it's like, funny because military commercials. The fighter pilot is played by Jim Caviezel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he's so the the cue that Nicolas Cage has to do to wave off this this bomb that they're gonna drop is to light the green smoke, and it's just another one of these. Michael Bay, like your palms are sweaty scene while you're watching it. Like, fuck it. Like, of course, you know, like, you know, something's going to, it's going to work out, but just like the build up to it, you're like, I don't know if it's going to work out. Fuck, fuck, get the green smoke, get the green smoke. And he comes out like it's all in slow motion and, you know, and then like with, there was like a, a shot where Nicholas Cage was in profile and it looks like he's screaming up. Like, yeah. Smoke is just billowing past him. And it's probably like, one of the fam- it's a real famous shot. Like it's kind of like a it's very like typical, like kind of Jesus on a cross thing. Like got, he's got his arms out. Yeah. yeah. And he's he's got the green smoke. And you know, like there's so much fast-paced talking between like four different locations within the movie of like control rooms and shit and pe- the, the fighter pilot. And you know, they cut to like a guy who's like looking through some binoculars and he spots Nicolas Cage at the last second. Like, you know, I got, I got green smoke. I got green smoke. And you're like, Oh my God, they got green smoke. Forsyth is like, abort, abort. And then he's like, I already dropped it. Shit. <laughs> and overhead shot of the explosion on Alcatraz and Nicolas Cage is in like a wall of fire, just like flying. And he's screaming like, ah! like, <laughs> Oh my God. It's just such a fucking intense like movie, but so I love it. it. It's, I don't want to name favorites. Maybe we'll name favorites at the end, um, but it's definitely up there for me. I get this weird, like, and we'll, we can cut, we'll probably cover this arm again, this weird patriotism or this weird, like I get goosebumps from the excitement and this like weird patriotic, like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. Um, you can cut that out. We'll just we'll cover it later. But <laughs> I just want to say I love the scene where Nicolas Cage is like fighting Gregory Sporletter and he takes that pearl and shoves it in his mouth and he yeah. says, "That you fuck!" And then like Sporletter spits it out and like it's 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 like one of the greatest like you know good guy falling bad guy scenes ever. Like even though like we went through two hours of Nicolas Cage explaining why these pearls are like just that scene where he's like. He's like he's he's um opening the canister and the pearls are hanging. He's telling Sean Connery how these pearls are like literally the most lethal, like scary shit like in the world and how it can kill you and like help yeah paralyzes your body and like it, it's it's a scary monologue, but it's like it's such a good scene. Yeah. Dude, I kind of feel like The Rock is like a, a podcast in its in of itself. <laughs> That's like I kind of do too. Like I, like I hadn't seen it in I haven't seen it in a few years. I think I I think I watched it during COVID quarantine. Um, but it's I don't know if it's streaming anywhere right now. But um, it's if you I'm haven't seen it, on, I'm just gonna say it's worth owning on Criterion. I believe just, you. I didn't know it was on Criterion. I'm gonna hunt that down now. <laughs> Speaking, Tyler, you can cut this out. Are we gonna say? Go ahead. I just want to say I just want to get this off my chest um that when we were talking about michael bean on the last podcast like i i also just i i wanted to just add to that geek out and saying that like michael bean i actually watched terminator 2 shortly after we did the podcast and i feel like he's so good at like creating in your imagination like how 
the urgency of like so like yeah. we're talking about how nightmarish the future of the world of the terminator is he's he's basically just giving you a monologue but he's yeah. giving you with such urgency and he's painting this super nightmarish picture that it just it's it's a testament to how brilliant of an actor he is the like, and yeah. like it's yeah. scary it, it, he makes the world sound scary and honestly yeah. i think it's like the scariest future of all the terminator movies that i've seen like he does such a great job at that the it's, um, also, it's also like in 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 the um in the shower scene going back to that like i just think the way he talks about you know when he when he's delivering his monologue like you feel for the fallen veterans when he's saying that speech yeah like, it delivers it with such urgency like it doesn't even it it goes you know when you watch an actor do a monologue you kind of feel it's monologuing like you kind of see yeah the i know what you mean if when he delivers delivers it, it feels like it really touches your nerves it's like mm-hmm. it's just like and he paints a picture of just like how sad this how sad it is for like fallen soldiers to not get what they what what the government owes them it's yeah anyway i just wanted to say that and, and no i feel you michael bean, michael um, bean is probably his own podcast too <laughs> michael, the michael bean podcast um bean podcast, no I, this might not make the cut just because I, I don't know if i'll have to keep that or not but no. I've, i didn't mention through all that but the score of the rock oh, on zimmer so score good. Cause I think like when it slows down and it's like kind of that sad melody, like it sounds like, you know, taps playing at like a, a milit- uh, a Marine's funeral or something like the, the yeah. hor- I think it's, I think it's actually like a really, be- I think it's one of the best scores in a Michael Bay movie. Yeah. I'll find a way to put that in. <laughs> even Maybe even general, like his, like that score and like his action movie chase, the, the music yeah. sequences and the suspense scenes and even the comedy scenes or no comedy scenes but like like his score just across the board is is a great mesh of action thrills comedy like it's i think it's one of his best scores personally and i kind of wish the rock won the oscar for best cinematography because i thought it was extraordinary cinematography all right so the rock is on criterion collection but there's also another michael bay movie on criterion and it is our next film uh holy shit this you know uh, yep there it is dude carrie's got all the the dvds for me tonight i have all the michael Bay dvds next to me um this is 1998's completely over the top end of the world super duper action i don't know it's armageddon and it's it is this is a fucking the best movie ever no <laughs> it's it, i don't think it's the best movie ever but i'm, I'm, I'm joking with you it's the best no, I movie about an asteroid in the in the most like ridiculous sense ever and this is yeah it, it's very over the top it's very i think this is like this is this movie to me is michael bay on drugs and because yeah. just but I don't know. There, there's a there's a lot of things that aren't realistic at all to me in these movie in this movie, but I mean the plot's really simple. There is a asteroid the size of Texas, I think is what yeah. they say. <laughs> it's coming the size towards of Texas, Mr. President. <laughs> <laughs> it's the size of Texas, Mr. President. We call it a was it a global killer? Global killer. Yeah. <laughs> He's like nothing will survive even if it hits the ocean. <laughs> nothing will survive, not even bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> And th- this is like, it's an over the top movie. Like I, I don't really believe a lot of the science or I don't, I don't want to say I don't believe a lot of the science. I'm sure it's a lot of the science is 
close to being accurate. But there's just something about it where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But this movie still has a charm to it, I think. I, I think it is, it is a good turn your brain off kind of movie, which a lot oh, of yeah. Michael Bay movies are. Yeah. But like, this is a real full on, like, shut your brain off. Just, just go along for the ride. And I was telling you when I watched this, and I watched this about a week ago again, and it had been a few years, and I know what was going to happen. I know how the movie ends. And I like had a fucking like panic attack watching this movie. Oh, really? Because sometimes like space movies, I don't want to explore space. I don't like, I know there's the theory out there that, oh, we should go to Mars. We should leave earth. Like, nah, man, if the world ends, I'm here. I'm here. I'm not going to space. Like just. I'm the total opposite. I want to go to space <laughs> badly. Like something happens out there. Nah, I don't want any part of that shit, man. Send an <laughs> asteroid and I'm out. That, that's fine. In space, no can hear you scream. I, mean, I like, dude, space is the fucking ultimate horror movie for me. I, I don't want that. I can't believe I even went and saw Gravity when it came out. Like, oh, yeah. That movie is just an anxiety attack for two hours for me. But the same thing happens in Armageddon for the most part. First of all, they have like 18 days to do what they do. So what happens is they find out that, you know, NASA finds out which NASA, the main guy at NASA that we're kind of following along is played by Billy Bob Thornton. And I think he's my favorite character in the movie, by the way. I agree. I, agree. I, I think I buy his story. I buy him giving the information out to everybody. I buy him arguing with the general played by Keith David, great character actor. I forgot yes. he was in it. Yes. He, he's awesome. <laughs> He's just the most likable guy who you feel like could be a great leader. And like, he just brings in um, an incredible amount of dignity and humility mm -hmm. and also just and like, you cool feel under pressure. There's, there's the one scene where you find out he couldn't, he wanted to be an astronaut, but never could be. Yes. So like a physical disability that all they do is just show like a brace on his foot. They don't really explain yeah. it that much, but still like, there's just something about him. He strikes me as a guy who's just a career guy. Like he probably doesn't have a family. He's just like, goes to NASA and, you know, goes home alone. Like, I don't know. There's just, I, I don't know. I was kind of like getting ideas in my head about his character. I think he's, he's probably my favorite character in the movie. So when the rogue comet hit the asteroid belt, it sent shrapnel right for us. For the next 15 days, the Earth sent a shooting gallery. Even if the asteroid itself hits the water, it's still hitting land. It'll flash boil millions of gallons of seawater and slam into the ocean bedrock. Now, if it's a Pacific Ocean impact, which we think it will be, it'll create a tidal wave three miles high, travel at a thousand miles an hour, covering California and washing up in Denver. Japan's gone. Australia's wiped out. Half the world's population will be incinerated by the heat blast, and the rest will freeze to death in nuclear winter. Somebody. Well, actually, this is as real as it gets. Well, it's coming right now, right for us at 22,000 miles an hour. Not a soul on earth can hide from it. And that was a great, was a great scene between him and Bruce Willis. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of like a lot of there's a there's a nice rapport. And there's a lot about each character that's kind of established in that one scene. Like when when Bruce Willis and when Billy Bob says, I, "I'd be there up you, I'd, I'd be up there with you if I could," and Bruce Willis says, "You don't want to be there as much as I do," and he says, "Then he asks you scared," and Billy Bob says, "Yeah." you yeah i i like how bruce willis kind of plays it as like you know he like he's been asked of this big task to save the world by the way um 
NASA has asked Bruce Willis, who's like the best oil driller in the world, that world. him and his team, could they be flown up to this asteroid hurling to, towards Earth to drill a nuclear warhead into it and then blow it and get off the asteroid and blow it up? Sounds very easy, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there's other subplots like, you know, that are pretty, you know, obviously very pivotal, like Bruce Willis's daughters played by Liv Tyler, who definitely right. probably helped with getting Aerosmith to do like every goddamn song on this soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, Aerosmith, I love that song. I don't want to miss a thing. And it was played constantly during my childhood God. and at my prom, which is actually a nice song to slow dance to. Yeah, I believe you. This, this is 1998. So you have that one. You have this song in 1998. And a year before you had My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. Like you, know, <laughs> you could not fucking escape those songs. And it's so funny you mentioned Titanic. I had some I have something to say about it, but I'll let you finish. Well, no, but all I'm going at is like the subplots here, like Liv Tyler's um, you know, having a very is in love with uh Ben Affleck, who yeah. is like, you know, one of the drillers on Bruce Willis's crew. And there's kind of this, you know, father of the girl he loves tension kind of thing. You know, you don't know if they like each other, but, you, you know, I don't know. Bruce Willis is kind of a, you know, he's a hardhead, but he's likable. And there's other really great supporting roles. Steve Buscemi is kind of the comic relief of the, the group of... Dude in the whole movie. Oh, yeah. Some, some he, he's just like... Died. Yeah, he's, he's me on that. That's me on that, on that fucking mission. <laughs> like, I'm just like fucking... We're going to die. Like, like, come on. It's fine. Like, whatever. We're going to die. I like to think you're not a sleazebag to like younger. No, girl. I'm not. No, not like that. He, like Steve Buscemi's character is also like a, a guy who has probably been with a prostitute many times. Right. <laughs> you also have Mark, Michael Clark Duncan in there. Um, yeah, who I am like I missing? That. Owen Wilson. Owen oh, Wilson's Wilson. in there. Yeah. He's um, it's a, it's a great. Who's the guy from. Uh, I never know his name. From Remember the Titans. Uh, Will Patton. Will Patton, yeah. Will Patton's in it. It's kind of like you can tell he's like Bruce Willis is like number number two guy, the loyal friend who's also a little grizzly, but yeah, has a heart of gold. He's like Bruckheimer kind of utilizes Will Patton in a bunch of his movies, which is always great to see. But yeah, he's got a great little. All of them kind of have these little subplots that give them meaning to go be heroes. And I actually liked his how he has like a he's a strain from like a ex or something who he had a kid with and. He goes and sees the kid like the day before he goes up into space. And like, like, honestly, there's this one, the scene when they're all going on the shuttle, the spaceship and like, you know, the TVs, you know, it's on TV and everything. And then there's the big epic, like presidential speech void VOing the whole yeah. fucking scene, which like is it's, it's moving. Like you've seen that in Michael Bay movies all the time. It's there's a little patriotic and gives you goosebumps and makes you feel like, yeah almost like it's like it, yeah. like the Patriotic. fate of the world is at stake but like it makes me feel so american <laughs> yeah <laughs> who cares about the rest of the world like i feel really american because of this i don't normally feel this patriotic but when i do it's when i watch armageddon <laughs> it's a fucking patriotic movie like it's I, I don't know man it's yeah but like that the scene where yeah they're all walking onto the space shuttle and you know the the little boy sees that guy and everything and i guess he gave him a toy or some a toy space a little shuttle. like yeah a little space shuttle toy yeah 
And he's like, mom, there's that salesman or something from the other day. And she just goes, she's like, so in shock that what she's seeing, she goes, that, that man's your daddy. And dude, I saw that. I kind of teared up. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, yeah. There's a this bunch of scenes in that movie that made me tear up too. Just, you know, rewatching it again, which is strange. Cause it's Armageddon, but like, it's still yeah. kind of hits you at your core sometimes it's it's so weird because like i said it's such an over-the-top film but the stakes like and this is just a testament to like how much of an emotional roller coaster he can put you on as a filmmaker yeah like you know i i just like i obviously build up to the very end which i'll get to in a minute but i just i'm really moved by like what's at stake and what's at stake is the end of the world like i i guess the one core thing about the movie that really gets me is like, yeah, what if, what if something like this actually happened? Like, how yeah. am I going to feel like, you know, who am I going to want to call when, you know, I find out the world's going to end. And I don't know. I, I think it's a, I think there's a beautiful message in a messy movie there. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so I totally agree with you on that. It's um, what I was going to say was that. So when I saw Armageddon, I, at, I, this was before I wanted to be a filmmaker. So I had never heard of Michael Bay or I didn't know what the concept of a director was or what a filmmaker was like all i remember was is i saw some asteroids destroying all these major u.s cities and blowing up space shuttles and there's this like giant asteroid and like explosions galore and i'm just like i'm in i'm fucking in because like because <laughs> like you know we're you know i'm i'm okay nineteen ninety. so i'm 12 years old when this movie comes out and like there's this era of films during that time where like i think it started with independence day like you're getting all these disaster movies coming out of the box office and deep impact yeah deep impact a lot of late 90s movies volcano dante's peak and like armageddon i kind of felt like i get the sense that jerry Bruckheimer kind of was borrowing ingredients from the best of like independence day you know the destruction of independence day meets the love story of titanic and like yeah turns it up like just cranks it up 100 just adds a little like adrenaline and like you know it's and and for me like you know as a as a you know as an impressionable little uh, 12 year old boy and thinking like oh man disaster movies this is great like and also star wars was, was released like we released the year before so you know you have space you have destruction you have romance and so when armageddon comes out it's like this movie's gonna be awesome i can't wait to see it right so like this is and I'm kind of I'm transitioning to a funny story. So like my mom drove me to the movie theater and we were 15 minutes late and she was like, "Oh, no, don't worry about it, Carrie." And you know, you know the the movie doesn't really like it's it's the, the important stuff is ha- happens like later on in the movie. I think you're fine, right? So I come into the movie and it's the scene where it's after Ben Affleck after Bruce Willis discovers Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck's bedroom. It's no, it was the scene where Bruce Willis was shotgunning Ben Affleck and chasing him all over the oil rig. I'm like whoa what the fuck is this like my my 12 year old brain couldn't really comprehend the fact that like doing this shit as an adult was just fucked up psychologically Mm -hmm. but as a kid it's like oh it's an action movie like okay Bruce Willis is shotgunning Ben Affleck because oh because he slipped was slept with his daughter that makes sense so (laughs) (laughs) even though I missed like the scene where the asteroid obliterates earth back when the dinosaurs ruled it blows up an asteroid and fucking destroys New York City and I'm like and when I rewatched the movie on VHS, like after it came out, I'm like, oh man, this is the best movie ever. Cause I finally got like, I got everything I wanted from like a disaster movie it was just like all that mayhem. It's just like, you know, I, 
you know, from there, like Armageddon became one of those movies for me. Like, you know, I actually, after watching the movie, I actually like would build scenes from Armageddon out of Legos and reenact certain moments from it. Like, <laughs> it was like the scene when like the rover is like when Ben Affleck is trying to drive the rover over the asteroid canyon and it goes into space and like Peter Stormar has to get out and like, you know, fix the fix the thrusters or something like I'm, I'm going all over the place but like Fine. it was just a, it was a fun movie it's and I think it's the movie that I've seen the most times on VHS after Space Jam but like it's one of those movies you just kind of like you chill with a friend and put it on and there's like so much just like great fucking just I mean it's just it's a great it's it's one of the most perfect like entertainment brainless mindless yeah. action blockbusters too and also by the way I think once I got into films because like I don't know, I kind of, I I did I, I what was I gonna say? So like I was like, who made this movie? And so I looked at you know I saw the name Brockheimer, and I thought, oh this guy must be you know, I guess his movies are pretty good if it, you know if he made it. And then like I saw Enemy of the State like you know a few oh, months later after that yeah. by the same and it said from the producer of The Rock and Armageddon. And I'm like wait 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 what, what's this movie? And it has Will Smith and Gene Hackman. And I'm thinking like oh my god i fucking love this movie who is this fucking producer and so from there that kind of led me on my search to like explore more brockheimer films which which eventually led me to the rock and then like gone in 60 seconds came next and then bad boys and you know after that like i think a few years down the line when i started to become more familiar with filmmakers i i realized you know I, i i caught on that michael bay was the guy who directed armageddon and you know that's when i kind of sort of began to you know, just observe how he, he he made you know how how filmmaking works. Like I didn't watch I didn't watch Armageddon until like years after I watched it. Like in I think it was around college, and from there I just kind of rewatched it a few times. Like every year, every almost like just like every every couple of years, I just kind of come back to it and just kind of watch how Michael Bay would like. I mean, the look of the film is just like it's it almost looks like Alien, just the way. Mm-hmm face is just presented it's like the super noirish again with the noir in the back lighting yeah. it's just very cool maybe we're on to something with what's inspired him i mean he must love noir films like from he must, he must like yeah yeah it's and like and the whole thing like <laughs> there's just so there's just so much in that movie that like he just makes the most out of an asteroid because it's not just one asteroid it's like it's like three asteroids and then a main asteroid that's yeah like, coming in collision with earth there's like there's yeah. some like sets when they're on the asteroid that look incredible. Yeah. And then there's some that Scary. look eh, I don't know. And then there's some where it's definitely there's definitely a sound stage. Like when they're when they're blowing stuff up on it like it's definitely a sound stage completely. But I, for 1998 like I it's hard for me to remember like special effects and CGI in, in the late 90s until I'm actually watching it. And yeah. I, I don't think this is like landmark CGI, but like they do a great job making the asteroid look fucking terrifying when it's hurling to towards Earth. But yeah, I, I think it's actually really good special effects. I mean, this is coming off the heels of you know movies like Titanic and Independence Day, and yeah. CGI was just like kind of really moving forward in this era, and. It's also oh. like when you said that Michael Bay has a really good eye for visual effects and he creates like photorealistic looking yeah. visual effects similar to James Cameron. No, I agree. I agree. Oh, yeah, yeah. The James Cameron quote. I uh, was going to say. So just to kind of go on, like, obviously all these great things about him making this film, but that ending with Bruce Willis, it, it just. Yeah. 
he is it's so I, I i didn't see this in theaters i heard about it i was i was in fifth grade and <laughs> so yeah this is like 1999 so this is like about 10 months after the movie came out there was this thing called uh, there's a bit of a story this, there's this thing called nature's classroom i don't know if you had it, it oh it's, my yeah. friend works at nature's classroom if it's like a is it like yeah. a nation thing or it, i don't know but it was like, you know, like group of kids in like fifth grade and get to go to this thing for a week where they go to like, it's nature's classroom. You do learn yeah, stuff outside. That's exactly I, what my friend is doing. He, he, he's one of the hosts of nature's Oh, classroom. okay. All right. I didn't go. <laughs> so you, they, gave, they gave you an option. Like you, if you don't go and honestly, the fact that I didn't go, I had like a million times, like I got to go to like interskate 91 and just go on like rollerblades and like i don't know like do other like fun kid shit but i guess well all my friends were at nature's classroom that week they watched armageddon and like they just they they, they were so moved by the movie at 10 years old and like i had, i knew bruce willis died like they spoiled it for me bruce willis you know <laughs> sacrifices himself you know they come i think they reach a point i forget logistically why it's weird because I just watched a week ago, but they have to leave a person yeah. behind to detonate the nuke. Uh, there's like a rock storm and it like it it it, ru- it, it ruined the yeah like, satellite uplink or something. And William Figner says someone's gonna have to stay behind and blow this asteroid. And and you got like and Ben Affleck's like it's gonna be me. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna sacrifice myself. They, and they, you, drew, they, drew, they drew straws or something. Yeah, and Bruce Willis like you can see it on his face like he knows he has to do this. Yeah. And like, you know, you know, he escorts Ben Affleck down and Ben Affleck thinks he's going to be the guy to, you know, save the world. And, you know, he just like kind of pushes him to the ground or no, pushes him back in the elevator. And he basically like, like takes the hose from Ben Affleck's yeah. suit and pulls it, which is like, why would you do that to like risk someone's life like that? And he, yeah, pushes him into the chamber lock and Ben Affleck yeah. says, hey, what are you doing? Like, actually, I cried during that scene, too. And I watched. Yeah, this. dude, Ben Affleck, wow, Ben Affleck's like. I don't think Ben Affleck gets the credit he deserves. Sometimes he is powerful in that scene. You know, when he's yelling yeah. like, Harry, I love you. Like Harry, I bought I it. You. I bought it with his fucking big fake teeth that he just got like <laughs> $20,000 fake teeth that yeah. I think that was at the request of, of Michael Bay and Bruckheimer. Yeah. Like Ben Affleck has baby teeth. And Bruckheimer is like, well, let's just give him new teeth. Just yeah. like Tom Cruise. It's fine. No one will- <laughs> But like Bruce Willis has this like scene with not that great of dialogue where he says goodbye to Liv Tyler. But yeah. it's just, I mean, that's just a personal pain. I didn't think it was like that emotional dialogue, but it's, I mean, maybe it is. Cause like, it's still kind of hit and it's just this beautiful thing. Like how he saves himself or saves the world by killing himself. Yeah. Both. And- <laughs> I just what I think I was what I think I was getting at is like all my friends were crazy about Armageddon when they saw it at nature's classroom and you know they saw it for the first time and like I I always heard like all the girls like got so sad during that part and everything and like when that movie came out like the fact that like I kind of get emotional watching it that part not I don't cry or anything but I'm just like oh man like it still kind of hits like seeing that for the first time in the theater must have been wild. Like that must just been a fucking tearjerker. I don't know. It was a lot to take. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember tearjerking when I first saw it, but I was thinking, oh, that's noble Bruce Willis to save the world. But I remember the scene when like 
when his last dying memory is like Liv Tyler as a little girl running toward Bruce. Yeah. Super quick cutting vintage. It's like, super art house, but it was still worked. Like it was like the best dying thought I've ever seen in a movie. Like, yeah. And like, and that fast cutting of Liv Tyler and Bruce Willis doing this and like just that, that cross cutting was like, yeah. Wow. Nah, that yeah, was like, actually kind of cool. You want to talk about Michael Bay being cinematic, just cranking everything up, like takes yeah. a new, just like, Here's what you see when you sacrifice yourself for the better good, like when you die. Like it's fucking wild. Uh, It's it's kind of kind of nice to know that that might be a dying thought, but you know, not to not to get too morbid and dark. But I have to say, I'm just glad Michael Clark Duncan did not die in the film because I was like, he's so lovable that if he did die, I would have been so pissed off. Because pretty much everybody dies, like in that movie. Well, except for Ben Affleck uh, and Liv Tyler and Steve Buscemi. I would have been you bummed know, if Steve Buscemi died. <laughs> yeah, my friends will quote Steve Buscemi like, I, it, my, 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 like it's it's cool because like all of my guy friends and my lady friends like in elementary school were like loved Armageddon. And we're always talking about it and quoting it like you know from beginning to end. Yeah. Like, um, oh, I gotta say one thing that was really that that kind of stuck out. So like, do you remember the scene when um when um Steve Buscemi when Rockhound goes to the loan shark and gets all that money, and then goes yeah. to his club? So like, at the end of the movie, when you have that credit sequence and there's a wedding, the loan shark is at the wedding. You're right. I saw that. <laughs> and it's the guy from Bad Boys. He's the, the fat the the fat henchman. Yeah. Like same fucking guy and i'm just like thinking who the fuck invites a loan shark to a wedding yeah, that's and more importantly why is the loan shark sitting next to will Patton's estranged wife and why is he sitting in the front row it's just like i want to know i want to know that i want to know what happened with the, i want to see that movie like yeah. rock house like i can't i can't pay, I, I don't have the money man i gotta go to what he's like oh i'm coming with you what do you mean <laughs> i'm not gonna no no you have till the end of uh of saturday so uh you know i'm just gonna stay here and you pay me up when you can. Oh my god! Rockhound just takes the bag of like checks from like the fucking bride and groom just gives it. To- <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh man. All right. Let's move uh, on. Okay. Oh, would you have something more to say? Oh, um, I just want to say I I just add some trivia. So there, were, I fucked up the last one. I said there was nine riders on the rock. There's actually nine riders in Armageddon, and it was the same. JJ Abrams is one of them again too. I forgot to say that. Robert Town, yeah, Tony Gilroy, Jonathan Hensley, crazy, yeah. Again, Bruckheimer just investing all that money into the riders and coming yeah. up with. I think it's. I think it's a good for an action movie. I think it has great moments of dialogue and like. There's there was one line when they're trying to like they're trying to like defuse the when they're trying to like the the scene. I know you're gonna cut this out, but whatever. So like the scene <laughs> when like just just hear me out. It was it's a funny it's a funny line of dialogue. So it's the scene when like when nasa activates the bomb and then billy bob like that's a cool scene guys to like yeah he asks he asks his guys to like um to 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 what was it to turn off the countdown and when he does there's one of the government officials says sir the override it's been overridden (laughs) (laughs) like like that's some strange love shit right there like it's almost like a political satire at that point yeah (laughs) Yeah. okay anyway Anyway, moving on to um, next film. And so this one, uh, maybe you have a little more to say about it than I do. Uh, you probably do. 
Because I, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like he, I'll just get into it. Next up's Pearl Harbor. Yep. <laughs> and this is, I, I don't know how I really, I still don't, I don't know if I love it or if I hate it. Uh, I mean, this is the um, kind of takes a Titanic angle, takes a big historic event and puts a love story in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, Pearl Harbor stop. I don't really need to explain the plot of Pearl Harbor. I just yeah. kind of did just by saying that, but um, you know, Pearl Harbor, the big, you know, the thing that pretty much kicked America into world war II. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's some politics that could be mentioned through that, but I'm not going to get into that. But in the middle of all that is um, a love triangle between uh, Ben Affleck, who's back again with uh, Josh Hartnett and uh, Kate Beckinsale. Yep. And uh, they happen to be working on the base when um, the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. I don't really know. I, I, I don't, I don't have much to say about this only, one. No, it's, a, no it's, it's fine. Like the only, I mean, like, so Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett are pilots. Ben Affleck basically. Yeah. They're um, friends too. They're friends. They're, they're, they're lifelong childhood friends. Obviously, you know, um, World War, you know, USA hasn't been involved in World War II. So Ben Affleck, you know, um, goes to Britain to fight the Nazis. Yeah. And Arnold gets shot. He gets shot down. He's presumed dead. Um, his girlfriend, Kate Beckinsale and Josh Hartnett have, uh, have, you know, fall in love because they think he's dead. He comes back. There's a love triangle. And then the Jap- and then the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor. And then from there comes, uh, from that falls the Doolittle Raid, uh, James yeah. Baldwin, Alec Baldwin. Um, he was great in that movie. He, um, he, he actually was pretty good in that. The, yeah. And, and it's interesting. I did want to bring up Pearl Harbor because like, it was an interesting transition into a different type of film for Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. To me, it kind of feels a little bit more like it, it, it seems it seems like it's more of a film that like it's it's like an epic an epic David Lean film with yeah some that's a good way of putting age it. of Hollywood style of dialogue and yeah. acting and behavior. Um, you know the, the imagery is the cinematography is gorgeous. I'll just say right now, I know it's a hot still take. a gorgeous movie. There's it's things about it that I like. Like there's still there still is those like moments in it that shake you to your core that you still see in a movie like the rock yeah. like um the, the scene where the ships are sinking and yeah. there's nothing yeah. anybody can do about it you see like fingers coming through the holes yeah and it's just like oh it just it makes you feel fucking awful so that it does there's it makes- honestly when you get down to like the pearl harbor attack i mean it's crazy i don't want to say like i enjoy it but i think from like a, a, a film goer and someone who studies film like that perspective i think that's like really the highlight of the movie like i don't give a damn about the love triangle like i really don't um yeah. there's something to be said about I, I wonder if it's either the cast or if they didn't really put enough effort into directing the actors because there is something that's a little bit lacking in that area yeah like as much as i like seeing ben affleck i don't know if he was the right choice to play the lead but yeah that was peak ben affleck uh before j-lo showed up the first time um right. so like he was like was top huge, of his was he was guy. like top of his game at the time you know yeah. he's an oscar winner by then you know um i don't know it, it but i see what you mean like i've never i've kind of enjoyed josh hartnett like later in his career like when he came back and did penny dreadful which is like 15 years after pearl harbor i never saw but, penny dreadful Oh, dude, Penny Dreadful is awesome. We'll talk about that another time. But, okay. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I've always liked Kate Beckinsale. I thought, you know, I thought, I thought there's good moments with them, but you know, I just, I don't know. But Her one and- thing I want to talk about in a supporting role is Cuba, Cuba Gooden Jr. Yeah. He's fucking, I love him in that. He's, he's great. Yeah. He did a really good job of kind of providing that. I mean, I know this is based off of history, but his, I forgot, what's his name? Dorian something. I'm, I, I apologize to, to, to the family of, that hero but like so but cuba gooding jr basically plays a guy who is a cook on a ship and he yeah he rises to the occasion like when the moment when the moment strikes when when pearl harbor happens he he basically comes up to the ship and fight and uses the turret gun and takes down some japanese planes and he i think he gets some he gets decorated with a medal but like yeah. cuba, he was cuba was cuba did a great gave you a solid performance in that and it was just a great sort of way to see how like there's a little bit of racial injustice but you know that it kind of became trump by the fact that there are much bigger things to worry about in the world of you know 1991. yeah no that was good i, I did go ahead well like now you go first because I, I have a lot to no say. All i was gonna say i thought john void as fdr was kind of cool yeah he was great and, and i'm not i, I john void's cool. kind of falling off for me i don't really i don't know lately but I, I thought like that was just kind of a not really a big part but hell of a makeup job and yeah. I don't he did know. a lot for like the scenes he was in he was only in a few but he kind of gave that presence like yeah the the um the state of the union speech that he does pretty much which is word for word of what fdr's speech was i don't know i i thought that like like i said like like overall i didn't really enjoy the movie it was kind of but like there's little things i took away from it that i still thought you know yeah worked there's, for me. there's this thing where like for me, when I'm watching a film that's based off of fact, it's this thing where you're 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 taking into consideration, you know, accuracy versus artistic license, right? So yeah. on the one hand, you have this like sweeping imagery, and you have you know this like star-studded cast, um, but then you have to ask yourself like, how much of this movie is 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 kind of what's a how, how much how much artistic license is going into the film? Because like when I yeah. saw the film. I love the theater feeling like, do I like the film? Do I not like the film? Like there's stuff I was really riveted by, but something felt a little bit that was lacking. And I kind of feel like the film in some ways is manipulative or like, there's just stuff that kind of feels more like, like the music, Hans Zimmer's music. I, Hans Zimmer's, it's one of those things where Hans Zimmer can create a great score, even when the movie sucks. And this is one of those examples, but I kind of feel like yeah. Hans Zimmer's soaring score like along with sort of what you see in the film, like there's, there's a little bit, I felt a little bit of manipulation. There's, or there's things where I was like, I feel like there's a responsibility in there to honor the war veterans. And I don't know if the, if the, the movie did a proper job of doing that. Like when I think of war films, I compare this film to Saving Private Ryan, you know, Saving Private Ryan is just, I mean, again, you're, I mean, Spielberg, first of all he did a phenomenal job and that movie like is does not look like spielberg's other films because no. spielberg decided to you know spielberg being the showman that he is like michael bay but also in this film he says i'm gonna make a movie that honors the war veterans so he shoots everything like a super eight millimeter film yeah like you're in the combat and it's i mean the first 20 minutes of the film the d-day invasion it's fucking terrifying yeah i i know people that can't even sit through that it's it's nauseous and it's scary and you know it just it it just gave me terrible anxiety just like i'm just glad i never fought in a war but at the same time 
it's a masterpiece. Yeah. And that's not the most important thing. The important thing is, is people really connected with the film. War veterans really respected the film. There's a lot of moving moments and there's just a lot of great scenes and Spielberg didn't really, didn't have to go out of his way to like, you know, fluff anything or just make it feel yeah. more cinematic. He just presented it as it was. And lo and behold, it actually grossed more than Armageddon. And <laughs> it's a masterpiece that, you know, people revisit over and over again. And it's a great piece of history. And it's almost like, you know, everybody did their research and like, you see, you see the research and everything. And the realism is like, I, I mean, I'm assuming it's hundred percent at least like, and I don't feel the same way about Pearl Harbor because I also feel like I, I watch the dogfight scenes and I often wonder how much of that was actually just artistic license as well. Cause it feels like watching the X, an X-Wing fighter fight, you know? Yeah. And like, I enjoy it, but I, but I don't think, I don't think it's realistic and I can't, I can't fully say I enjoy it because it doesn't really, it doesn't seem accurate to me. Like Dunkirk has an amazing like combat sequence. Have you seen oh, Dunkirk? Oh yeah. I love Dunkirk. It's and the, and Christopher Nolan is 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 it doesn't really feel like a cinematic film, but like but you you immediately understand the process of like a dog of a of a dogfight in the sky where it's like you have to watch the gas gauge and you have to like you know and it and sometimes it takes more than a few tries to actually shoot down a plane and like they're actually in the it's like it's just almost like a documentary kind of feel mm-hmm. to it and I kind of feel like Pearl Harbor was a little bit lacking in that area and also just like there's so much inaccuracies in the film I thought like. So, for example, like um, the Japanese, um, the scenes when the Japanese are plotting the Pearl Harbor attack, like there's a scene that, first of all, they would never have the scenes outdoors, which was presented like that in the film. And they also had like scenes where they're, yeah. there's like a pool and they're like, they have all these model boats and they're mapping out how to bomb the bomb Pearl Harbor. And that never actually happened. So it's like, I can't really take that film seriously in that respect. Um, but actually there's 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 no buts like you know what's ironic is that spielberg made an, a film about 1941 in his first attempt and that that was like the most it was it's called 1941 it's like it, yeah, it's not it's a great a, war comedy and it's and it feels like the most michael bay that spielberg will ever get to like yeah when it comes to movies like he made the film and it obviously tanked in the box office and he's just like oh i learned my lesson okay not doing that again to go off what you were saying I- I, I, now I, I think everything you just said kind of clicks in my head and with that's pretty much exactly how I feel because I, I have this memory of probably a year or two after the film came out and it was airing on like you know remember the channel I don't know if they still have it uh Encore it was like I remember yeah yeah it was like a spinoff of the Stars channel and they had like Encore Western Encore Mystery and they had Encore Action and like Pearl Harbor was playing like every like three times a day on encore action. And they like, they did like these little little prom little 30 second or a minute promo things where like they're interviewing some celebrity sitting down in a chair or like, I remember the guy was like, like a BMX rider. This is crazy how detail I remember this, but, (laughs) and he's talking about like how much he loved Pearl Harbor. And he's just like, yeah, some of the special effects are amazing. Like that one shot of the bomb that drop and the cameras on the bomb as it yeah, goes down into a ship. And like, yeah, that's cool. But like, I guess, yeah, it, I don't think this should have been a Michael Bay movie, you know, like, I, cause I think 
it's too he stylized put, he's it's too stylized he puts too much of an artistic stamp on it i know we've been praising his how good of an artist he is for the last hour hour and 15 yeah but i just like if i want to like a saving private ryan if i want to watch a war movie if i want to watch something about a national tragedy of some sorts even though i don't really search after those movies but i feel obligated to watch them i just kind of want to feel it on a personable level and yeah and i just i didn't get that i felt like it was an action movie and i don't know how i really feel about watching pearl harbor as an action movie despite like i said there's moments that i think like really kind of hit you in the core but yeah it just it was too stylized for me and i don't i don't know i just didn't really work it's this thing where like aesthetics like artistic aesthetics doesn't really fit into like the content that's being you know presented on the screen yeah it does it in a weird way like so okay i'm gonna i'm gonna shame myself for a second i have pearl harbor on dvd so that's good one of the reasons i have it on dvd is because i'm kind of i was kind of fascinated by just the way michael bay I don't even know if I want you to include this, but like, <laughs> I was just curious to see how Michael Bay shot the film just because it's an historical epic. But most of the, most of the features on that DVD were all just rigging explosions. And like, it's almost like, it's almost like Michael Bay wasn't even directing a Pearl Harbor movie. It just feels like another one of those like run of the mill. Today, we're going to take this napalm and blow this, this, this building up. And it's just like, I want to know more about like, you know, how you felt when you were directing a World War II epic and like what the actors felt in playing those roles and all that. Yeah. Like there's, there's some great documentaries and great research stuff. And I think the only thing I get out of Pearl Harbor is a fascination to watch more about what actually happened. But like, you know, it's not, there's not really, there's not really much there on the surface, you know, for Pearl Harbor. It's just like, there's, there's also like, you can, you can like tell three, there's like three movies or four movies crammed into one movie in that, in that movie alone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they should have just made a movie about Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character. Um, yeah, I would have been I would have been fascinated to see that or the Doolittle raid and just like how yeah they bought they they bomb Japan they bomb Tokyo they fly into China and like how the the soldiers escaped and made it back to America. Like, there's a movie called a Spencer Tracy movie called Thirty Seconds Over Tokyo, which covers that, and it's a really great yeah. movie. But I, I I'd actually I'd love to see a movie like that, like a mini series, just. Give me a Dorian Gray story. Give me a James Doolittle story. You know, just uh, you know, give me some miniseries. I, I love, I love that. <laughs> no, I feel you. All right, on to the next. So Pearl Harbor is kind of a little bit of a miss, and so he kind of Michael Bay kind of goes back to what he's what he's a little His used roots. to. His he, roots. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, it's roots basically. Yeah, we got Bad Boys Two in two thousand three and um uh god like the plot is escaping me <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 take this i one. i know it but like i can't even put it into words really there's a drug lord he's he's smuggling x into america and yeah. Will Smith and Lawrence are basically part of a tactical drug team that are trying to basically catch the guy and arrest him and uh that's basically the plot and there's a lot of over-the-top ridiculous he sneaks them in through uh like caskets and like dead bodies even yes yes and which is you know just pretty interesting so uh, this movie i watched it last night actually and um 
I, I, so we're going to be up for debate here because you, didn't you say you'd like the, about an hour ago, you said you liked uh, Bad Boys 2 better than Bad Boys 1. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to hear. <laughs> well, Tell it's interesting why. because like, I kind of feel like, I mean, I saw Bad Boys 1 after I saw Independence Day. So like, it was kind of, a, it felt like a step back for me, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, Bad Boys 1 is fine. Bad Boys 2 just kind of has more of what I like to see in an action movie. It just has like, it has a, baller car chase which might be one of the best car chases i've ever seen in a movie it has like which one two yeah but which one in two the, the one in the with the boat right on the yeah the one with the oh yeah that the, one's the, fucking the crazy those cars like oh man i mean you have will smith and martin lawrence shooting up kkk members <laughs> that's a good opening um, that's a great opening for an action movie shit like oh and Which like, one of them is played by a young Michael Shannon? Michael Shannon, I know. Michael Shannon shows up, and he, he Shannon he, was in Pearl Harbor, and I guess Bay yeah. was like, "I like you. I'm putting you in, in Bad Boys too." <laughs> Michael Shannon pops up in a lot of early 2000s stuff. Like I totally forgot he's he's an Eight Mile as like Kim Basinger's Eminem's mom's boyfriend, who's just kind of a dirtbag. And I yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I. I, I I didn't remember that till I didn't know that till maybe like five years ago when I watched eight mile, but this has a good cast. This has got, um, I also, it's also got Henry Rollins in it as, um, one of the, yeah, he's like, he's a, he's one of the narcotics guys. One of the, the, the fucking, what it, I don't even, he's not even credited with like a name. He's just TNT leader. Yeah. I just love Henry Rollins. I like when he shows up, I actually think he's a great writer and he's a great, I mean, I don't really listen to the, music that he the punk rock music he plays but um he was in a sons of anarchy like season two and i he's he played it's kind of funny like he's they're busting they're busting the kkk and he plays a skinhead on sons of anarchy and but um no this has got a great cast this is actually one of the first not the first time but uh because she was in bring it on the cheerleading movie oh yeah gabrielle uh, Gabrielle union kind of really steps up and has a great role as martin lawrence's sister who is secretly dating will smith yes which creates well one thing i'll just go into this now i hadn't really seen bad boys 2 start to finish till actually last night i'd only seen it in parts but i got the gist of what was going on but one thing I really noticed and appreciated is how the two of them, as the, the characters, uh, Mike and Marcus, really have evolved and aged since the first one. You know, their their friendship and their their working relationship and even their friendship is actually kind of on the fence in this. And you know the whole Marcus's sister, Gabrielle Union, you know, like her kind of seeing Mike might push that over the edge. That's kind of hinted at. Marcus has new family problems, basically. Yeah. And like, you can tell <laughs> like Martin Mar- therapy and all that. Yeah. Like they, there's this big thing where like, they're, they're all going to therapy. Like they're, they're aged cops. Now they've seen some shit and you can kind of tell like, you know, Martin Lawrence is playing his character. Marcus very, like very, he's older now. And, you know, he's seen some stuff and he probably wants to kind of slow things down a little bit. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess I just, I kind of, I, I was kind of, I felt like I was going to be in store for like, just kind of a repeat of Bad Boys 1, which it, you know, kind of is. I mean, you could tell there's a bigger budget. There's a way yeah. bigger budget here. So, so I, I actually wrote this in my notes. I said that Bad Boys 2 is the Armageddon of buddy cop movies. 
Okay, yeah, I can I can see that. <laughs> Cause there's just so much excessive, like there's like bigger explosions and there's like a lot more action and like they they actually Mike, I mean Bay just goes for broke with the humor. Like it's just all shock value with like the dead bodies like falling out of the moving van during a car chase and there's like yeah there's like bigger the awkward moments are like supremely awkward like beyond all reason type of moments and We've, like sorry and no it's like no it's fine it's fine i feel like in some ways those were kind of the ingredients that kind of led to like michael bay's later work he just kind of found like all these elements that he just kind of brought with them for for yeah. better or for worse maybe more worse you know but um I'm, I'm being a hater like well i'll focus on the positives of bad boys too it's okay <laughs> it, no it, like we actually forgot to talk about him in bad boys one uh the captain um joey pants joey pent oh Pantone. my god he's he's great he's like kind of the stereotypical angry captain but he's so like he's such a lovable character just how he's and he's like extra chewing them out in this one. Like they are yeah. like the two of them are just fucking up constantly in this movie, which again adds to their relationship problems and their dynamic. But the, the, he's just, I think he's a real, that's a real good supporting character to the, cause you see that in buddy cop movies all the time, like the angry captain. And it's almost yeah. like he's playing it like the stereotypical angry captain, but I don't know. I think he just brings a really good, he brings good substance to that role where you're not just thinking it's just a generic guy going through the motions of, an, you know, that guy. Not only is he a great actor, but I feel like he's always like, first he chews them out and screams up and says, why do you do this? You fucked everything up. And then he says, okay, just do what you need to do and get it done. You know, he's kind of like, like, I mean, he's kind of like a football coach, like a good football yeah. coach. Like he he'll, he'll chew you out. Like, Make you feel like make you feel like shit for a second, but then he'll kind of try and build you back up. And I don't know. It's just it's just a cool character. And I don't know. But it's interesting when we talk about these supporting roles, because I kind of feel like with Ed Harris and Billy Bob and in my opinion, Alec Baldwin, Joey Pants, they can, there's always that one character actor in every Bay film that seems to kind of steal the show, you know, under the radar. And I kind of feel like it's Joey Pants and, and Bad Boys too. <laughs> we also forgot in Bad Boys One, uh, a young Michael Imperioli shows up. Oh yeah, one of the snitches. Jojo. <laughs> yeah, he's really good in it. Also, I don't know the actor's name. You're like the... an Arab motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the actor's name, but the guy at the uh, front desk from Mike's apartment is actually really good in it too. Oh, oh, Mo Mocha Joe from Curb. Yeah, yeah. I love him so much. He's just like, "How you doing, Mr. Burnett? Like, uh, I see you got a woman there." You know, uh, family is really important. You know that, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It's important. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the only thing I didn't really care for with Bad Boys 2 is like, it's probably 20, 30 minutes too long. Um, yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. Like it just, oh, you know, this big shootout happens and no, uh, they're going to Cuba, which, you know, is motivated with the plot, you know, and I kind of knew like at one, at some point I was like, I guarantee you Gabrielle Union's going to get kidnapped and she does. <laughs> and then Martin Lawrence does his iconic shit just got real. And we also yeah. didn't mention that, like, I guess it's iconic. I don't know, but like that spiral around Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, like in bad boys one and two, which I yeah. think is a really cool staple of Michael Bay style. Of there's just, like, a, you know, there's a shot in about midway through the movie when they go to like the Jamaican guy's house. Yeah. 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 The, the, the camera swooping around between two rooms between the doorways. Yeah. And Will Smith's on one side and they're in a, sh and the other guy 
trying to kill him is in the other side. And I'm like, this is the most, this is one of the most Michael Bay fucking shots I've ever seen in a movie. It was a cool, it was a cool fucking shot. And I, I, I wish I could say it's, it's the coolest shot I've ever seen, but they kind of like, they kind of cut in between that like rotating shot. And I kind of wish they just played it in like a one for like three minutes. Yeah. Just like super ambitious about that shit. Yeah. But it was a really, it was a really, really cool shot. The guy loves movement. He loves camera movement. I, I mean, yeah. uh, I would love to see a conversation between like Michael Bay and like Wes Anderson of why they do what they do. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to take it a step further and say, I wish there was a conversation between Michael Bay and Ingmar Bergman. Oh, like, okay. Is the complete antithesis of Michael Bay. He shoots everything in close up. It's just super quiet, super introspective, no action, just characters talking in dialogue. I and- might put on seventh seal after we're done recording that might put me to bed tonight who knows <laughs> dude that's so funny i love that you mentioned that because bergman films kind of give me a kind of a sense of calm too that's that's so funny yeah. we have like the same brain sometimes for movie making it's kind of it's crazy <laughs> i feel you um i don't know do you have anything else left? do you have anything else left to say about bad i mean yeah i i you know you know i feel kind of um so i just wanted to say that you know, I know we talked about like, you know, sometimes that I feel silly talking about Michael Bay films. And while I enjoy Bad Boys, I almost said four, Bad Boys 2, there's like, there's, I mean, there's also scenes where, you know, I'm kind of thinking like, this isn't really aged particularly well. Or like, I mean, yeah. it's like, I guess when you, when you think of like Michael Bay films, there's, there's stuff I like. And then there's other stuff that seems a little too juvenile. Like, I think when, when, when Will and Martin are like, are drilling um the kid who's about to go with martin's uh daughter it's yeah i know roger ebert reviewed this the movie and said it was like it was like it's a terrible scene and it's just so like inappropriate and all that crap and like you know i kind of thought like you know i saw the scene i thought it was funny it was it was not i didn't i thought it was harmless but then i i the the trivia behind that scene was that bay encouraged martin lawrence and will smith to act like assholes to the kid and yeah which didn't really irk me as much as the fact that like when Will Smith pulled out his gun, Michael didn't tell the kid that the gu- that Will was going to pull out a gun or even show that it was a fake gun. There was something about that when I was watching it. I was just like, ah, too far. Like, yeah, I was like, this is a little unethical of Michael Bay to not tell the kid, even even if it's a movie set. I mean, you should still tell someone the gun is not fun. The gun isn't real. It's just yeah. like you know it's it rubbed me the wrong way a little bit and there's like and there's there's like misogynistic stuff in armageddon to like steve buscemi asking about like you know how old are you and like the and the telescope guy telling the wife to fuck off like there's all these things in there yeah. where it's just like i you know when, when when you're 12 and you're watching it it's funny to see adults argue but when you're 30 and you're wiser it's like rubs me the wrong way it doesn't really feel i can see what you mean a little uncomfortable it's like I don't know. It's just I mean, I'm not like offended by these things, but I just kind of go, oh, yeah, that's kind of fucked up. It's a little, it's dated. It hasn't really aged. Yeah. I mean, well, Michael Bay says, you know, he makes movies for basically teenage boys. Basically. And like, I mean, I can get that, you know, with that, you might get some immature humor that may not age well. I mean, I've never, like I just said, like, I've never been like remotely offended, but I've sat there and gone like, eh, that probably ticks somebody off. But I don't know. Yeah, same. But like, I not, definitely I see what you mean. Personally, but it's like makes me. It's a little. It irks me a little bit, but not like whoa, come on. But it's my just my personal opinion. No, no, I feel you. 
Okay, so up next is a movie that uh, uh, I, I don't even I didn't even really know when I saw this at first, and I don't have I, I have some things to compare it to, but um, I didn't know Michael Bay even made this when it this just went over my head when it came out in two thousand five. I don't know what was going on, but um, it's a little sci-fi action movie called The Island. The Island. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm so tired, but it's okay. <clears throat> so yeah, The Island um, has a really cool concept. So it's basically about, um, I'm kind of spoiling it. So if you want to just skip this part, go ahead. But no, go ahead. basically it's a, it's, um, it's a not too distant future where I guess these scientists have created clones um, that are basically used to, uh, how do I say this? They're, they're basically, they're basically made so like that, so that like they can like harvest the organs or any parts of the body and, and give it to like, um, these sponsors who basically, these super rich sponsors who basically pay to have the government make clones of themselves. So like, so basically if like, you know, you're, so let's say like you have sort of like liver cancer runs in your family or something, you basically pay the government to make yeah. a clone of who with a healthy liver and when the clone is ready to be harvested you know they'll be able to basically kill the clone and take the liver and put it into the real person so that's basically that's the concept Mm -hmm. and ewan mcgregor is one of these clones and he lives this life and he's 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 basically trying to figure out what the deal is behind this sort of like this it's a civilization of clones basically and like basically when you they set it up so that like when you they have this lottery playing out among the clones which is really a ruse. So the the ruse is like you know you're, it's a lottery, and if you when you go to the island, the lot, but but it's not really the island. It's basically your demise. It's basically when you go and get harvested by the doctors. The island mm-hmm. is just like a way to give the clones hope. So you yeah. and you and basically discovers this and runs off with Scarlett Johansson, who plays another clone, and they're basically running in the real world and are trying to like get answers, and it's this. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting little allegory on, um, I don't know what the word is, but it was, it was an interesting little sci-fi allegory. And I kind of, in some ways thought it was one of Michael Bay's more mature films and kind of and in a way, one of his smarter films, maybe a smartest, I guess, but I kind of liked, I kind of liked what I was seeing. I like, and Michael Bay kind of took a very, I, I noticed just stylistically, he really held on the, on the shots a lot longer. And this is yeah. trademark sleek sort of like, you know, almost like a magazine Vogue, like future where everything is clean and pristine. And it has this, like this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Minimalist, uh, white sort of, uh, ut- utopian look to it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I liked what I saw. I, I thought it was a really great film. And I kind of liked that he was exploring different areas. And there's a really cool scene when, um, Sean Bean, who basically plays the guy in charge, he basically, he, um, he, he deploys these little tiny little nanobot things that crawl up into Ewan McGregor's eye and does, and, and they do this little like brain scan. It's kind of like the spiders, the robotic spiders from minority report, but it's a lot smaller. Yeah. Just from watching that, I thought, Oh, you know, this is a cool sci-fi concept. And as a filmmaker, I'm thinking Michael Bay, I like that Michael Bay is going in a new direction. This might be a new kind of stretch of uh, films that he's thinking of exploring and at the time when i was watching it like from beginning to end it's just like you know first there first there's a chase and then there's like a cool chase on top of two two like hovering jet pack like it's, they're like speed they're like speed bikes but they hover and then there's like a chase scene with like you know there's a car chase but like they're, yeah <laughs> but they're 
on top of this truck full of like train track wheels or whatever they're called. They have to push them down. And it's just like, I'm going all over the place, but basically my, 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 my verdict of the film, it was a really cool high concept film with cool technology. And even though it felt like two films crammed into one, it was a nice, it was a cool, interesting ride. And I kind of felt like it was the least bombastic of Michael Bay's work. I have to agree with you because yeah. I, I, it, he, I, I, Ah, my tongue's tied cinematography wise yeah he holds on a lot of stuff it still feels like a michael bay film to me but um i I almost like had to look back and go did bad boys 2 tank and he was like on the verge of director jail or something i don't i don't know I know Bad Boys too. Like I think made its money back, but it's like didn't really get good reviews. It was a huge box office. I know the critics hated it. Yeah. So like I don't know if like the, like the studio or like anybody who you know any overlord over him told him, look, you got to tone it down a little bit. Why don't you go make this little sci-fi movie or something? It's it just like watching it. It just it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. It felt it felt like a Michael Bay movie, but it felt like someone was in his ear telling him to tone it back a little bit. I, I don't know. Like, I don't have too much to say about this. It definitely has. You know, he's never made a movie with Scarlett Johansson again, or Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Steve Buscemi's in it. Um, like, there's not Michael Clark Duncan's in it, but there's it's a like, great cast. Yeah, and Jaiman Hansu and Sean. Yeah, Bain. It, it, that it was one of the cooler casts of his of his films. That. I don't know. It just every director I feel like has that one movie in their catalog where it's like maybe they're trying something new. Um, That's what I thought. I don't think he was pressured by anybody. I know Spielberg. I think recruited. I don't know. I don't know if he hired Bay to do the film, but I know Bay worked for DreamWorks because I think at that time he. Yeah. There's something I don't know what happened, but him and Bruckheimer basically parted ways. So I don't exactly. That's this is kind of a good point. Like in his career, like he stopped working with Bruckheimer. Um, Yeah. And I don't, yeah, and I don't really know why, but there was something about like Bruckheimer. I mean, we'll get into that later, but I think from there, like his movies just felt different ever since he, ever since he parted ways with him. Yeah, that's a valid point because, you know, moving forward, we're about to go into, you know, a franchise that he did. But um, yeah, there wasn't that. I liked it. I, I think I, a lot of the things we set up to this point about his movies kind of maybe they don't go away but they just don't kind of hit like they used to i don't know but like can i just say that the boat on the island i don't know if you remember the boat at the beginning of the film but it's like it's all like a reflective surface that's basically coated all over the boat and i'm thinking that is the coolest fucking boat i've ever seen in my life i want that i want the vx gas pearls from the rock (laughs) and maybe will smith's um porsche from bad boys like (laughs) that's all the all the michael bay like you know props i want are are those three things and maybe the asteroid from Armageddon. i don't know (laughs) i'm just being silly at this point no i feel you i feel you okay so now we're gonna dive into a section of his career that i feel like is where a lot of the criticism of michael bay comes along and we're past the golden age of michael bay basically (laughs) we're kind of past the golden age of michael bay (laughs) and but you know what i'm gonna fight for him a little bit here okay i I have a few things to say about so we're talking about i want to like i said in the beginning of the show we're gonna or maybe i can't even remember now we've been going for a while but um transformers Mm -hmm. he comes out in 2007 with the 
live action adaptation of uh, the 80s, the classic 80s cartoon Transformers about aliens that take over, um, <laughs> that take over fucking anything basically <laughs> like <Earth>. obviously <laughs> yeah take over you know cars trucks airplanes anything and um it's been a while since i've seen the first transformers it came out in 07 they basically he did for a while he did yeah the first three were 2007 2009 2011 right and wait did another one come out in 20 the mark Wahlberg starts showing up in 2014 or there was Wahlberg was in four and five yeah and Shia was in one through three yeah I'm just trying to remember the years but I don't remember the years I just I just don't care I, I, I just I just remember I just remember watching Transformers the first three and going how the fuck did he do this every two years like how did he get a movie like this like every like every two years he but anyway first I'll, I, I'm I don't really know how I want to plow through the whole five movies you know at once but i'll just start with the first one kind of real quick like the movie starts with like you know the voiceover of optimus prime i think going like you know the first scene is like a long time ago there was the cube and to be honest i'm just kind of like this movie's gonna suck ass (laughs) dude when i saw this film in the theater i was thinking to myself oh no so like i'm not gonna divulge on plot points i'm just gonna kind of give you like my general feeling at least off the first one here i think the first one fucking rocks i mean this is this is executive produced by steven spielberg um of course spielberg would want to put his name on something like this i I think like everything's everything is in order for something good in the first one you got shia labeouf who is kind of starting to skyrocket at this point with his career and he is awesome in it i i think he's He's so funny. He's, he's actually good for a Michael Bay movie. He's really funny and can be also really emotional and you can just kind of get into, you just kind of get into him and, you know, he's accompanied by the love interest, Megan Fox. Fox yeah. And, you know, we'll get into her in a minute. Cause she had a bit of a falling out with uh, Michael Bay. Yeah. But, um, you know, and we, you know, again, I, I don't even really remember like strong plot points, but they end up, you know, working with the Autobots and Optimus Prime and all these all these characters and Bumblebee. I think that's what kicks it into gear is Bumblebee, you know, Sam Witwicky gets a new car from his dad. And who the fuck is the dad's actor's name? Oh, Kevin Dunn. Yes, he yeah, is awesome great. in it. He's great. And like, you get him a crappy car, but it turns out to be Bumblebee. And <laughs> Bumblebee's like, you know, he's the fucking, he's the, he's the heart and soul that movie maybe not the whole yeah. eh, maybe the whole franchise i'd say he's he's fucking classic in it the childlike robot the childlike robot who talks through the radio i, I you can't go wrong with the first one i just think it's i think you know i think the plot is still pretty strong with the whole cube thing i can't even really explain it but um but like and it's oh. go ahead all right, I'm gonna respectfully disagree with you on like most <laughs> you said. Okay, I'm not gonna. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not discounting what you. I'm not discounting your enthusiasm because that's fine. Cool like it. My like, enthusiasm is gonna get lower and lower as the franchise goes on, but I'll just I'll prepare you for it. No, no, it's fine. Um, I mean, like, I don't know. When I saw the movie, I, I was, I was a little underwhelmed. Like, I was. I mean, when I saw the trailer, I was thinking this is gonna be a fucking awesome film because, like, you know, 
I mean, the visual effects are phenomenal. I will, I will admit They're that. Great. They are, they're incredible. I don't know how, how the fuck you can make CGI look that photorealistic and just make yeah. shiny transformer robots look cool. Um, yeah, that was, that was a cool part. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not a huge shy fan. I'll admit it. <laughs> I'm not either, but I thought he was cool. I, okay. You can cut this out if you want. I'm just going on a shy rant. I feel like shy is not really, I, I kind of feel like he's a little wound up and I feel like he's not really an actor who is particularly good at listening or just kind of works with, I don't know. I, I feel like when I see him in a role, I feel like he's, he's, he's really, he's really trying too hard, like in a scene. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't know. I, I was kind of, I was expecting a little bit more. I kind of felt like there wasn't a really a strong enough, like emotional relationship between shine bumblebeam. It was, you know, it was fun, but there was like, and I almost felt a little surface level that there wasn't really much underneath that was kind of like cuter, poignant, or like emotional. Like I was kind of expecting a, a John Connor and his and, and Terminator relationship. You yeah, know? that would have been. Yeah, I, that's cool. Sorry, I was. Yeah, that was, that's sort of where my mind was at when I was like going into Transformers, and I felt like I didn't really get much of that. So, like, I mean, it's that's a, a valid fun, point. There's a little bit of a fun movie in there somewhere, but not a lot in my opinion. Like there's moments I liked, you know, it's, but I kind of felt like, I don't know, like I, <laughs> I, I may, I'm making a weird comparison to like that season of the Simpsons where I just thought it started sucking. Cause like, and that really broke my heart as like a child, <laughs> like that moment when season 12 came out and I saw the first episode and it wasn't funny. I was like, Oh no, this is, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> happening. I kind of felt that way with Transformers. Like, I really expected it to be awesome after seeing the island. I'm thinking, okay, Michael Bay's going in a new direction. This is going to be a great movie. I can't wait. And it was like, <sighs> all right. Anyway, well, there it is. Um, no, I, look, I, 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 again, I don't want to say it's like a perfect movie, but I just felt like it was, it was, it was fun. And yeah, the CGI is like. I don't think it gets the credit for being as like, I don't want to say, maybe I shouldn't say landmark, like CGI. I'd but that's a cutting edge. It's that's it, fair. It like to, I'll like anything I've ever seen. when you like, there's some shots in there. I think when it's Optimus Prime, like finally reveals himself and the camera, it does a Michael Bay move where it just kind of moves around him as he's transforming. Yeah. It's like, like the details of the stuff just moving. I was like, whoa. Yeah, it's 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 really it. I don't know. I thought it was really something. Um, but then, you know, two years later, we get um, uh, Revenge of the Fallen Transformer, the second one. And yeah, I think and so. in look, so this is 2009. And this was a time when this is when I had my first apartment. And my routine was with me and my friends is we'd go to a movie on a Friday night and then go out to the bars or something or just go to a party afterwards. And like, so like, I don't know, I, I, I went and saw it and I thought it was like just as good as the first one at the time. And I just feel like every time I've watched it, I've like, just liked it less and less and less and less. <laughs> yeah. Um, it doesn't really hold up that, that well for me. No, it's just like, it's just, it's, I mean, it's Autobots versus Decepticons again. And I, I think that's the problem. I think being able to reinvent this war between these two factions while putting humans in the middle of it. I just think you can only do it so many times. And that just kind of, 
I think that's why the the franchise personally for me starts to go south. I mean, the next one was Dark of the Moon. And this is when you start to see them use like historical things to tie into the plot. Cause don't they bring in like a King Arthur thing later oh, on? Oh yeah, that's, that's five. Yeah. So like this dark of the moon has to do with like the moon landing and like, you know, once Neil Armstrong plants the flag and everything, they shut the cameras off. Cause then they got to go to like the other side of the moon. Cause there's like a fucking transformer over there or some shit. And it, you know, turns into this like conspiracy and stuff and everything. And like, you know, the Autobots and the Decepticons have always been there. They've just been hiding. And you know, it's cool. I remember seeing it on a date and like the girl I was with really liked it. And I remember like fucking dumping her ass like a week later. <laughs> I'm not saying it's because she liked the third Transformers. I have to tell you something. I don't think this is working out. <laughs> Yeah, you like, you like the sequel? I don't. You know, like, I think we're, we're rolled cool. apart. I don't know if this is gonna work out. Uh, I, I didn't like. I don't know, but like you know, Michael Bay is still kind of. He's able to kind of. He was able to kind of still be who he was in this franchise. He was still able to pull off the shots he does. Um, we talked a lot about supporting roles in his movies earlier, and one. Yeah. Like John Turturro shows up, I think only in the first three. Maybe he's in four. I think he's in, he's in five for a little bit. I didn't finish five. Uh, <laughs> but he shows up and he's like your typical comic relief doofus in a Michael Bay movie. But yeah, you know, they must pay. I don't know if I don't know. I don't know if like doing that role gets you like other roles you want down the road. Like, hey, you want to be in that indie movie? that you know yeah. might get you an oscar like you got to do transformers first like maybe he really wanted that yacht or that house in Malibu, and he was like yeah. all right gotta do a michael bay film sure it'll be fun francis that. mcdormand shows up in the third francis one McDormand. yeah that yeah, was like that was strange because she's i get the impression she's really picky about the role i know oh, oh um McDormand, but and then fucking uh john malkovich yeah that's what i was gonna say john like he gets <laughs> these... the con air john malkovich yeah but um it's just it's a strange it's just strange to see character actors in a transformers film yeah bernie mac shows up for like a scene in the first one he's the guy who sells he sells him the car with but that's bumblebee yeah i don't know john boyd is 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 in the first film and um, anthony anderson too anthony anderson's fucking hilarious i like i love anthony anderson like he's he's funny in it kind of stole that show um uh, ken what's his name ken jung Yep. Uh, he's in the he third one yeah plays a super awkward like weird boss or whatever I don't even yeah know. he's like fresh off of the hangover success and that i don't know it's yeah. like i said the, the, it kind of gradually depreciates for me i mean once we hit four uh fucking mark Wahlberg's taking over mark Wahlberg shows up shia labeouf's out it's kind of like a brand new storyline and whatnot and there's I, some kind of fight between shy and, and michael bay and that's why they had to recast the whole thing yeah i, I just yeah it kind of i heard it kind of just fell apart behind the scenes and i don't I'll, know like I'll, go ahead i, I kind of I'll, I'll say this i don't know if you agree with me i kind of like seeing mark Wahlberg play like an obsessive nerd like he's he's kind of playing mark Wahlberg in the film but i kind of like that he's he's kind of bringing a little bit of that like inventor yeah nerdy. Thing in there. I, I, I respected cool. that. Um, 
it's like kind of what he was trying to do in the happening but didn't really pull off well but like he kind of did it in, in this film <laughs> no it's good but like by the time we get to five um okay so okay go I ahead i know you were waiting for it I'm just going to bring this up. I have a lot to say. I have a lot. I haven't seen all of five, but I saw the first five minutes and it's this really strange sequence where it's the Arthurian. It's, it's in like, it's in ancient England. And there's a story about the Arthurian knights and there's a fucking battle sequence in there, which I actually thought was fucking incredible just to watch. And like, I thought to myself, is there a power? Is there a parallel universe where Michael Bay does epics? Because I kind of want to see more of that. Like, it's almost like... So there's a bit of trivia that Michael Bay was um, was uh, in talks to do the King Arthur movie with Clive Owen and didn't do it. Oh, but I kind of yeah. feel like we got a little bit of what Michael Bay would have done in yeah. Transformers 5. And it was like... It's almost verbatim exactly what the King Arthur movie was. Like, there's a, there's a big army and there's, like, flaming arrows and there's, like, these giant fireballs on catapults and, like there's this thing where like with a fireball they kind of like they take the action movie logic and put it into like into the scene so like when the soldiers get hit by the fireballs they're flying and it's just such a strange thing to see in a sword and sandals epic but i'm thinking like i'm like thinking wow michael bay could i want to see michael bay do a sword and sandals epic because like his take on it is just so interesting i feel like i don't like a genre he hasn't tackled yet that he could yeah yeah i don't know if he can pull off like character story or 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 if he even cares about like you know performances and whatnot like i mean that's a whole nother that's a whole nother discussion but like it was it was bizarre i I almost had this feeling like i would have i would have been interesting to see like to compare gladiator with like transformers 5 even though there's no comparison gladiator is like just better a better movie but like (laughs) but it would be interesting to see michael bay take on an epic you know, yeah. without guns. That's really all I have to say about five. But I, I don't have a lot to say about five, but I've watched it and I thought I was drunk the whole time I watched it. I, I just, there just, there was something about the plot and just his camera movement. And there's just something jarring to me that I, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't even Do you remember really, that I, scene when the, I, I know you're a huge standby me fan. Do you remember when the boy, when there's four boys and one of them says, you want to see a dead robot? yeah i thought i'm yeah this is ridiculous i'm click i'm done i'm done okay look Um, all right i also just wanted to say i know we're kind of we're we're deep into the abyss of just like transformer fatigue in this podcast but if anybody's still listening to this i do want to say that there is a really amusing youtube video where michael bay is basically reusing shots from his past movies and putting from the island from the island yeah. yeah and i think I think so. I think some shots from um, maybe not from Bad Boys too, but yeah, def- there's a lot of shots from the island. But there's a, I'm just gonna like, I'm just gonna look up the um, the title of the, of the video. All Michael Bay footage reuse. I can send you a link, Tyler, if you want to post it. But it's actually oh, yeah, a really we can put it. Fascinating, yeah. a really fascinating video of how Michael Bay uses his own B-roll in Transformers, probably to save money, you know, because he's probably shot so much destruction and car chases that like he just has all of this coverage all this footage yeah. to actually just incorporate into transformers so he doesn't actually have to go out to like shoot something you know <laughs> it was i thought it was amusing no it, it it i no i dig it i remember hearing about it and like there was controversy over it oh he reuses this footage and i was like 
yeah, he's saving money. <laughs> yeah, it's like, so fucking what? <laughs> All right. I mean, I don't know if that's really a good, like, like discussion on the Transformers franchise, but I don't, I don't know. Like, people people love it. People hate it. People like, you know, one or two. I, I, I really only really get invested in the first one. But like I said, it's just... It's really just kind of all downhill from there. And that's kind of, I feel like where a lot of people criticize them yeah. is in the, that 10 year span. But in that span of time, he actually cranked out probably his, la- his last few directorial debuts. Why the fuck did I say directorial debuts? His last few uh, films. We'll just leave it at that. Um, one of them is 2013's pain and gain. I don't know if you know anything about this, but I love this movie. I've seen it. Uh, I don't remember much about it. I remember having it, it being an interesting story, and I had a had a cool had a, had a had an interesting cast. I love the characters in this movie. I love Mark Wahlberg in this. I, I mean, I love to hate him. They're fucking stupid. But like, this is kind of the first time. This is. The, I remember this was the like the film you saw The Rock in it, and he looked like absolutely incredibly huge and like un- his best performance from what i've heard and i kind of yeah, he's like, like he shows to- some he shows a lot of range in this like he just kind of plays like a you know he, yeah he plays the big guy but he kind of plays like this you know he's a bit of a dweeb he's a bit of a loser yeah um, but he just happens to be really jacked the, the main plot is you know mark Wahlberg's a manager of a gym in miami so we go back to miami and he's kind of hit a wall in his life and he can't really, he's trying to make more money. So he teams up with Anthony Mackie and Dwayne Johnson, the rock. I love Anthony Mackie. He's Anthony Mackie's like that actor. Like I forget he's in shit that I like until except for like now. Cause like he's, you know, cause of Marvel, but like I yeah. go back and I'm like, Oh yeah, Anthony Mackie was in this. And, um, but they, they decide to um, abduct and kidnap a, a businessman, just a rich guy. And, you know, they try to get him to sign over all the assets that he owns. And they, they you know, they just turn to a life of crime. And some of the backstory. Tony Shalhoub, right. He was the he was the guy that they're trying to kidnap. Who? Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. Tony Shalhoub is the guy they're trying to kidnap and they succeed at it for a while, but he gets loose and, you know, I don't, I could go into detail for a while on it, but it's just like basically the gist of once the movie's over and Ed Harris shows up at the, at the tail end of it as the cop that pretty much arrests Mark Wahlberg and goes after him. Yeah. And like throughout, like from the get go of the movie, I, I loved Mark Wahlberg in it and I knew I was going to hate him though. Like hate to love, love to hate him because he has this monologue in the beginning of just he just like it's just so stupid he just sounds so fucking stupid and he's just like you know you know i wanted to be successful my whole life you know all of my you know heroes are self-made scarface you know all the guys from the godfather and all and i'm just like i know guys like that in real life and they're fucking stupid (laughs) like just guys who root for tony montana in scar like you're stupid yeah you got rich by fucking selling drugs and killing people. That's like, like and the thing is, is like, I think the real joke about it is, is Mark Wahlberg's character didn't have to do this. Like, I think that's the joke of the end of the movie. They didn't have to turn to this life of crime that they sucked at to, you know, become filthy rich. And they never even really got to become filthy rich. And, you know, 
I mean, Mark, there's a line when like, you know, shit kind of starts going south, but Mark Wahlberg still is pretty confident that they're going to be fine. He says to Dwayne Johnson, he's just like, look, bro, I've seen a lot of movies. I know how this stuff works. And <laughs> just, he's just a dumb guy. And like, you know, he pretty much learns that, you know, there's a scene in the beginning, which has, um, we just talked about him, the guy from the hangover. Oh, Ken Jung's in it. Yeah, he's he's like a motivational speaker, and Mark Wahlberg goes to a seminar, and like he tells him he's like you're a doer, and Mark Wahlberg's like yeah, I'm a doer, and you're like and I just watch him, and it's just so cringeworthy. It's meant to be cringeworthy, but I just I think it's um I don't know I think it's a comedic it's I think it's based on a true story actually. Yeah, there's some kind of article that yeah talks about it these guys did this in like the 1990s just these like gym rats who wanted to get rich and they just did something fucking stupid so with all that being said like this movie's also kind of a movie now that i think about it is a little out of character from michael bay he just kind of makes a it's a comedy and at times a drama um just about stupid criminals and it's done in a Michael Bay way. You still get your typical Michael Bay shots, all the all the comedy. The comedy's a little more mature in it. You know, he kind of dropped that yeah. teenage humor in it, which I appreciated. And what I don't know. Pen and Gain. What's up? Is it a low budget film or an indie film? Let me indie look budget? up the budget because you might be right. The budget, uh, 26 million. Hmm. Made its money back, 86.2 million on return domestically. Um, yeah, that was probably a pretty low budget movie. That maybe that was him trying to kind of shed the Transformers hate he was getting, and you know everybody who I've known has seen it at least somewhat likes it. But I admire um, that like Michael Bay will will still try new things despite his Transformers era. I, I wish I had more to say about Painting Game. It's been a long time since I saw the film, but I love it. I I, I love when a director does like just something like that. So if you. Fears after that, he does uh, 13 hours. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot to say about... I have a little bit to say. Um, I, what, what's the plot? Like, I know that they... Um, there's this is pretty uh, much the Benghazi situation. Yeah. They're in Libya, and um, there's, a, there's an army that's trying to, like, um, infiltrate the UN, I believe, because the, yeah. they have a high-ranking diplomat, and they're trying to escort them out or something like that. Um. Yeah. I know I'm 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 skewing up the synopsis. I apologize, but here you want yeah. me to give the synopsis right now? Huh? I can give the synopsis right now. Do it. Yeah, do it. On September 11th, 2012, Islamic militants attacked the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, Libya, killing Ambassador J. Christopher Stevens, Sean Smith, an officer of the an officer of the Foreign Service, stationed less than one mile away. Are members the John Krasinski basically? <laughs> of the annex security team former soldiers assigned to protect operatives and diplomats in the city as the assault rages on six men engage in com- combat in a fierce fu- in a fierce firefight to save the lives of the remaining americans the whole movie is pretty much a shootout that's based on the actual you know true story of what happened like you know we hear about it i mean not to get political but they tie it all back to hillary's emails and shit and like this movie came out in an election year too so like i, I I kind of felt like maybe people stayed away from it a little bit that may have been turned off, but I actually thought it was a good mill. Like Pearl Harbor, obviously we kind of 
you know, didn't like how stylized it was when it was something true. But I actually think Michael Bay's aesthetic kind of worked for this. You know, it's interesting. I kind of felt like this movie was, and I don't want to, and I, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, um, I'm not getting, words are not coming to me right now. It's okay. Um, it's been a long night. Obviously, I'm obviously not trying to take away from the fact that this is a true story with soldiers who are in a really like, really just scary situation because yeah. it's an interesting story nonetheless. Um, the movie, in, in terms of the movie, just of it being a movie, it was, it felt a lot like Black Hawk Down, just like, yeah. Kind of, in terms of its style and the color palette and just like the story alone, it was just like straight up Black Hawk Down, but just a different, just a different true story. Um, all I really have to say is I did like, I like John Krasinski. I think he has, I think he kind of shows signs of being a leading man. And I guess you could mm-hmm. say a movie star. Um, James Badge Dale, I've seen a lot of. I don't particularly like him as an actor, but I actually thought he was really good in this. Um, I actually found it amusing that, um, what's uh what's the what's the name of um that guy from the office dave dave denman was it yeah i know you're talking about but who's uh who plays who plays um oh my god who plays krasinski's like uh nemesis in the office i thought it was amusing yeah he plays pam's like husband before they got to before him and her and jim got together it was kind of like an amusing i kind of wonder if that was like it was that was trying to appeal to like the office fans to just kind of have that sort of a little bit of of, of an easter egg in that movie um but like i don't really have much to say about the film i think i, th- I actually like that film just like i thought you know it was a great it was an interesting just procedural war military thriller yeah um, like from a to z a to z i didn't really have anything that i didn't like about it just kind of felt like you know all the other military thrillers i've seen before and after but um i don't know i thought it was good Kind of interesting i felt like black hawk down like paved the way I have, okay so here i have a hot take on this i feel like black hawk down reinvented the style of the modern action movie just in that's terms a valid of point i i i and i think that like there's something about black hawk down that kind of like also and in, in tony scott's films men on fire just kind of like paved the way for this like blue turquoise sort of color grading that we see in like most movies today i know i'm going way off track here no 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 because i I, i've only seen this movie once and um i definitely liked it more than i thought i was gonna um but yeah i can see what you're saying because a lot of like a lot of maybe with the exception of like um uh what is the bin laden movie oh zero dark 30 zero dark 30 like maybe with the exception of that like I definitely see a lot of similarities, even with TV when they do military stuff, the the color palette and everything. You know, the cast of the film was really co- was really good. The guy from The Wire, David uh, Costable or whatever his name is, he's he's great. Like, I do I do like Michael. I feel like Michael Bay does have um, good taste and in, in in casting. Like he's oh yeah, trying, like actors with a certain grit or a certain quirkiness or, or or sometimes both. So. I feel we're talking about like this is a movie because I know like it's based on a true story and I'm actually compelled to read the book because I I love books about true true story true what was I saying true nonfiction books about military situations I think it's yeah I think it's fascinating all right no I feel you all right last one of the last one of the episode right here um and before we started recording. I actually forgot this was a Michael Bay movie. 
Um, I, I think while I was watching it, I actually like looked it up. I'm like, holy fuck, Michael Bay directed this. I mean, I probably could have assumed that just because it is very Michael Bay, you know, it's very Bayhem, Bayos, whatever he calls it. Um, it's called uh, Six Underground. It is a Netflix movie and uh, starring Ryan Reynolds. I think I, I watched this during the pandemic last year. Um, I watched it during Christmas. I think that was its release date. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, Very strange Christmas movie to watch. <laughs> do you, all right. So like, do you, because I just know it's about like, so just synopsis here, six individuals from all around the globe. Each the very best at what they do have been chosen not only for their skill, but for a unique desire to delete their past to change the future. Um, maybe it's because I forgot this is a Michael Bay movie. A lot of the fucking uh, <laughs> a lot of like what the what they're actually doing is escaping me. I remember like a very big like under construction, like high rise building, like chase scene that was like really fucking cool. But um, I forget. It had that. was it the scene when like there was a pool and it and and it burst and the, this water was flowing out of the building. Yeah, is that, is that it? Yeah, that was. I remember watching the trailer for that movie and I thought, oh, this looks interesting. I'll watch it. Michael Bay directed it. It's got to be, you know, maybe it'll be like maybe it'll be like Bad Boys Two, and he's kind of getting back to his like old school roots. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was not, and it was. There were some interest. There were some fun moments here and there, but like overall, it was just it was a strange. It was it was not a. It was an underwhelming action movie. Like I, the the car chase was yeah. kind of sort of fun, but like I mean, overall, there were moments when like, okay, so I'm just kind. I'm I'm kind of I'm sort of wrapping wrapping up how I feel about Michael Bay a little bit when I say this. That's fine. I. In watching the film, there were moments, you know, yeah, you have the action moments, but then like when you get to the character breeds or any emotional moments, like there are moments when I kind of felt like something was about to happen. Like there's some kind of like, I was about to see some character rapport or a story beat or something. And like, and then it didn't happen or it only happened for a second. Then it went back to just being, it just went back to being a mindless action movie. And like, Mm It's funny when you watch a movie that doesn't really fire on four cylinders. Like I feel like, like as filmmakers, when you kind of when you're learning the craft of screenwriting, you can you can spot you can spot scenes or moments that you know you you could say like, well, this maybe this moment if this moment were a little bit more fleshed out here or there, like it would have been a much more dynamic film to watch. But and it's also just like one of those things where it's like, I mean, I I enjoy Ronald Reynolds to, to an extent, but I kind of feel like he's made a career out of being sort of a self-parodying meme, like his Deadpool persona has just like he's dead. I felt like he's getting a little old and I kind of feel like Michael Bay is sort of becoming a meme as well and I just felt like even just the the promotional ads was just a little weird of Ryan Reynolds just saying like hi I'm Ryan Reynolds and we're we're and I'm gonna show you the the tear soaked no I'm, I'm, I'm gonna show you like Michael Bay and his like you know independent art house tears tear soaked cinema that he presents and it's just like all right, Ryan Reynolds. I don't. I don't really need this right now. I'm just like, <laughs> you're throwing shade here at the end of the episode. I, I am. I'm. I'm a little tired, but I'm also like, I was. I was underwhelmed by the movie. I don't know. No, was, it, it was a little underwhelming. There was. There was cool can I, parts. Can I share? Can I share a scene I really thought was hilarious, but kind of like, 
messed what? up. It was when, um, so Dave Franco is at the beginning of the film and he plays the driver. Like this is right before he gets killed. And there's this pissed me off. Cause I like Dave Franco. Me too. There's a scene where he's driving down. I think it's, in, was it Italy or Florence or whatever? He's driving oh down God. downtown Italy and he hits a guy and he's just like, Whoa, I so had the right of way. Yeah. And I kind of laughed for a second. It was just like one of those, it was one of those ridiculous moments where I just kind of felt like I can't take the behaviors of these characters seriously. Like in watching bad boys too, it kind of, it was kind of funny that like, you know, you see all these characters do these ridiculous things or say this fucking ridiculous shit. And it kind of worked because there was kind of an arc to the action in the story. But like yeah. here it was just like, I just felt it was just recycled. Mike, I'm throwing shade when I say this. So it was a lot of Michael Bay's recycled, you know, elements of his films where you have again you have you know cute girls you have you have really good looking cars you got military you got like shiny cinematic cinematography you have uh, super awkward moments yeah you have like but what you but i felt like what was missing was a story and character development it was just like it was just a watered down version of what we liked about michael bay during his uh golden age you know it's just I think we're getting into like the, the closing points here. So I'll, I'll say this. I think Ryan, look, Ryan Reynolds and Michael Bay, I think is actually a good collaboration, but let me finish. Cause I think Ryan Reynolds is, you know, he's got the humor that probably matches Michael Bay's style, but I think Ryan Reynolds and Michael Bay are a solid collaboration from the early two thousands, not 2020. Interesting. I, I think I think that works like early in his career that probably really works but I guess you know but I just think you know to kind of close it up here because I think we wanted to talk about because this was the most recent movie he made like you know where should he go from here and I think you know he should go back to maybe doing a film like the island or doing a film like pain and gain or 13 hours like the ones that we kind of really didn't touch too much on and maybe like, you know, tie it back, you know, and maybe like up the ante with like a plot line of like something like the rock, you know, this big spectacle, but like characters that you just really, really give a shit about. I mean, with something like six underground, I'd have to say, you know, because it's a Netflix movie, I don't really watch a lot of Netflix's like original movies. I, I, if something is really jumping out and like making a lot of waves, I'll tune into it. But there's something about Netflix films that are just like they're really high budget B movies. And it just, I don't know, they're just kind of just forgettable for me. If it's going to be a B movie, like I want it to feel like a B movie. But that, that's just me personally speaking. But like where I want that, that's kind of where I want him to go in his career, whatever's next for him. I, I want him because I, I obviously we just did it like practically almost a three hour episode on him. We Dude, obviously we obviously love the guy. We think he's a great filmmaker. Yeah. And, you know, his, I, I can't sit here and say his career has gone south because to somebody else. They're probably they probably think the last 10 years of Michael Bay has been fucking excellent. But right. I I hope he kind of ties in something that really got his career going. Well, maybe implementing those films that are good, but didn't really hit on a bigger level. I don't know that that's just, I think, cause now he's older now too. Like, you know, yeah. he, you know, he, he, he can't 
I mean, he's going to be 60. In yeah. 25. Like, I think now would be, you know, make like a, I mean, honestly, with everything that's happened in the past, you know, two years, I don't think, you know, the studios are going to dish out 300 million for him, yeah. you know, unless he's making a Marvel movie or something like I think it's a good time for him to make like a solid 20, $30 million film, maybe even a $10 million film. I don't know. I'd be interested to see that. Yeah. So my, so here's my take. And there's, there's a few things like that come to mind immediately. I think a few things have to happen. So I know we, we talked about Michael Bay's collaboration with Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. And I kind of feel like with the, with those two producers at the helm, yeah and michael bay like i think it was an ideal team because you have like these three visionaries who were able to have a really nice collaboration and like and make you know bad boys in the rock obviously and then when don simpson passed away r.i.p and jerry bradheimer took the helm i mean you could say what you want about pearl harbor and like you know his first five movies but they were solid action movies that had above average writing you know they obviously had a really good team of writers they had a good team of you know people of, of of artists of set designers of you know like the whole the whole shebang being you know michael bay and jerry brecker i remember had a had a good relationship and they made and they turned out a, a solid array of blockbusters right i don't know if it's the fact that bay doesn't really have a producer or just like yeah a, a set of eyes and ears to say you know i'm not sure if this is going to work or if that's going to work or because i feel like it seems like michael bay I think when Michael Bay works with, with a lot more people and it's a collaborative like movie, it, it's a lot better than like him kind of taking the helm because I feel like after the Island, something was kind of missing. And I think it's Jerry Bruckheimer. That's my, <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're right. Cause like, not even like, I mean, Spielberg, you know, not even really Spielberg could kind of really keep him going with being an EP on the Transformers movies. Yeah. Um, it, and I feel like, I mean, yeah, the studio is kind of like, I mean, you could, you could argue the studio saw Michael Bay's a cash cow with the Transformers movies that yeah. kind of brought a lot of money for the studio. And whether you like Transformers or not, there is an audience for Transformers out there. Yeah, agreed. Um, that being said, the one thing I kind of feel like, and I, you know, I don't want to be that filmmaker who says like, you know, he's lost his touch. Cause I, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I don't think, and I don't, it's not my place to say filmmakers, you know, have lost their, their mojo after like a certain age or something like that i know you touched i know you touched upon that in a previous episode and you know it's a whole other argument i'm not i'm not putting it on the spot i'm just i'm just saying like just my personal <laughs> opinion um tyler's giggling at me right now <laughs> it's no no no. it's just respectfully like I, I feel like okay if michael bay i'm not gonna say michael bay has lost his touch like even though i do think that he hasn't had he hasn't had as much success as he had before, but I do think that if he were to get back on track, he'd have to be more conscious of like creating, you know, of, of paying more attention to the characters or even just like putting more attention into like directing his actors. I don't know like how much attention he puts into his actors. I know that like for some movies, I feel like, you know, the acting is a little bit more subpar than others. I mean, it's fine. It's passable, but like, you know, I think, you know, it's like Jerry Bruckheimer said, if you give Michael Bay a great script, he'll give you a great movie. If you have like an amazing cast, like in The Rock or Armageddon or The Island, like, you know, you have these actors who are very skilled at just like elevating the material, you'll have a great movie. Um, 
so I guess I don't really know. I mean, Michael Bay, if Michael Bay were more conscious about story and more conscious about performances, then, you know, I'd, I'd be excited to see what else he'd turn out. I mean, it's cool when an artist reinvents himself. I mean, Kurosawa being our favorite, one of our favorite directors is always reinventing himself. And, you know, when Michael Bay does it, I kind of feel like we both get, we both get giddy about that because it's like he's trying new things out and that's kind of cool as opposed to seeing him do the same shtick over and over again. So, you know, I'll probably keep watching Michael Bay films. I'm not going to go to the theater to see it, but, you know, who knows? That might change. Maybe I will buy a movie ticket for Michael Bay. I definitely still will. No, I think he's one of the, I think he's one of the best directors of the last 25 years, which is about how long his career has been in feature yeah. films. And I still, I still, yeah. And, and even, even then I still look at his work and I break it down and I'm curious to see how he lights the scene or how he moves the shot or how he creates yeah. this. Like, he's like, I mean, he's, I mean, yeah, he's got the eye of a real filmmaker. He's like, his imagery is dynamic and, you know, you, you could say cinematic and he just does stuff that's just compelling and even more compelling than like most directors around, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, only time will tell. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens here, but um, that was that was quite a trip. We yes. just did 25 years of film. Three-hour yeah. podcast. No, no, this is probably the longest episode so far. So uh, I don't know how you're going to edit this down, but I'm excited to see how. God have mercy on the souls of anybody who's going to listen to us for this long talk about Michael Bay. But um, I guess just like a, 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 some people at a control booth, just like watching this video in a Michael Bay fashion and being like, God help them. <laughs> God have mercy on our souls. <laughs> But um, all right. Before we get going here, uh, do you have anything yet? Eh, I, know, I know you've been on the show. I can probably just put your socials in. But if you want to maybe sure. mention them before I go, here's your chance. Sure. Um, so I have three Instagrams, if you all care about that. Uh, one of them is Carrie V, where you can follow my boring ass life. Carrie uh, V Photography for my photos. Carrie V Production for my video work. CarrieVisualNothing.com um, if you want to see a little bit of my... Uh, my work uh in my in, the, in my field of directing and editing and am i missing something no i think i don't, think I don't, so. I don't know unless exactly. there's something you're not telling me but all right cool man well carrie thank you for going on this uh going down this wormhole with me that was a lot of fun thanks for having me man i i always love talking to movies with you it's a lot of fun to catch up and geek out about our favorite filmmakers and our favorite movies no nah, dude i no, this is fun we will obviously we'll, we'll pick another topic and uh hopefully in another couple couple months we'll uh i don't know we'll do it again but um, let's do 50 years of kurosawa let's just make oh, it all day podcast <laughs> <laughs> we'll turn it into like a four-part episode or whatever you know we'll just like go live on i don't know some sort of social media platform and just sit there and watch kurosawa movies and i don't know We'll make it a live cast or something. I, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> no, 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 you're joking. It's it's fine. We can like, you know, we can find stuff yeah. to talk about. So it's all good. All right, dude. Well, you can also, uh, well, not well you, but I know you already follow it, but uh, feel free to follow Tyler Geis's basement on uh, Instagram at Tyler Geis's basement pod at Tyler Geis's basement pod. I will say it one more time at, I don't need to say it another time. 
Uh, thank you all for tuning in and listening. And uh, I don't know, go watch a Michael Bay movie. Give it a chance. I mean, I, I know, you know, his later part of his career was, meh, but just give it. A, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe you'll like Transformers 4. I don't know. But give we it a like chance. Talk, we like talking about Michael Bay. So if you watch Michael Bay and you want to join our conversation in real life, then, you know, feel free to do that. <laughs> all right. All right, everybody. Uh, everybody take care. We'll see you all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.